Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another week of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Andrew Patterson with you along with the CTO, Michael Remus. And oh my God, has a lot happened since we uh, finished up our show a little earlier on Friday, heading into the Jets afternoon game against the Minnesota Wild and a, a complete drubbing at the hand on at the hands of the Wild. Uh, and uh, a very improbable win led by Connor Hellebuck on Saturday night that broke the losing streak and then let people breathe a little easier heading into tonight's game against the Arizona Coyotes. Um, we've, of course, have tons of football to talk about. The West and East Finals are set in the Canadian Football League. A big day in the National Football League as well yesterday. And, um, well, the curling. What can we say about the curling? What a week I had out in the Saskatoon. Big thanks to Chris Abbott and the folks at CoolBet. Um, we uh, you know, did a ton of content talking some of the betting lines for CoolBet and you know what was happening on the rink. And it came down to... Um, you know, some of the, the most heart stopping, um, drama, you know, you'll see in any sport, um, congratulations to Jennifer Jones. The goat is back and going to the Olympics again. And Brad Gushu is going back again as well. But, um, you know, we won't talk too much about this right now, but I just do have to say shout out to Ted Wyman, Jay Bell, Melissa Martin, all the Manitoba media that were out there and curling people are just simply the best. Met so many great people and had such a great time, and I hope you enjoyed the shows out in Saskatoon. That being said, um, back in Winnipeg, somewhat Remus, but uh, just could not, could not get away from our incredible background of last week on WST. For those of you watching on YouTube, what's up, everybody? Yeah, hey, uh, yeah, we had a lot of comments about this, uh, the drapes that you were behind. So uh, they're they're here. They're not going anywhere. This is it. This is our permanent home. Uh, you in front of the this epic setup. So it's great. <laughs> hey, hey, I can confirm that I am in fact back in Winnipeg. And uh, do before we just get into the program, do want to thank all of our sponsors, especially everyone that had big Black Friday sales. Hope you went out and supported them. Vita Health, Fresh Market, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports. Not Autocorp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club, and Cool Bet Canada. Special thanks to Princess Auto. Of course, they're a big uh, sponsor of ours when it comes to the curling scene. And um, it was great to hang out a little bit with Mike McEwen and Reed Carruthers from the McEwen Rink, who, of course, are proudly sponsored by Princess Auto. And then the Princess folks, pretty darn happy and proud that Jennifer Jones is going back to the uh, the Olympics. So just before we get to all the hockey and football, because that's going to dominate everything, Reem, I have to ask, did, did, did you catch any of the uh, the 10th or the 11th end of yesterday's action? Um, I, I'll just tell folks, uh, it was very strange. I was on a direct flight back yesterday afternoon in between the two finals uh, because of having to get to the hotel or sorry, get to the airport. Um, you know, we got there a couple hours early. So ended up watching the final, I guess, seven ends, or sorry, the last five ends at the uh, at the airport. And, you know, sort of by myself for the first couple, it's back and forth, then gives up the one to have the hammer in 10. I'm now over in a, uh, I'm now over in a, uh, in a bar watching the 10th end. Jen Jones has the shot to win. And the shock and awe on everyone's face when that didn't happen was um, was incredible. And you just felt that it was lost. Then we had to get to the gate. 
So we're now crowding around a television, and I'm there with Reed Carruthers, uh, Carrie Anderson was there, Shanna Burchard, a bunch of the others, and it came down to Tracy Fleury's final shot. And the, I, I, I have to say, it was as dramatic um, as anything that I can remember. And my God, the, 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 just the gasps on the people that really know the sport around it told you all you need to know how important this was, what was on the line. And, um, you know, you feel heartbroken for the Flurry team, but um, the GOAT is going back. Jennifer Jones doing again, Reem. She's going to become the oldest Canadian female Olympian ever at 47 years old and uh, incredibly well-deserved. And shout out to everyone that got honor at over 8-1 to one to win the thing on Cool Bet, including yours truly. Give me a Barry Horowitz. Wow, Huss, you were, uh, you're become quite the curling handicapper. I think that's what it was. Uh, you're going there. Check well, it thank out. God, thank God, Remus, because my football picks absolutely sucked this weekend, with the exception of the Riders. NFL picks was a disaster. Uh, but yeah, we did have quite a bit of fun betting on the curling. But uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah, it was uh, it was wild. It was dramatic. And uh, and Jen Jones does it again. Unbelievable. Yeah, and you thought last time when Holman won that it was a new era of curling. We're going to see, uh, you know, like Chelsea Carey going forward. I know that she wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't in there this time, but this was what you were thinking, you know, a couple of years ago. And here we are again, Jan Jones. Big congratulations to her uh, absolute curling legend um, back at the Olympics. So uh, I was very, very pumped to see that uh, that result. And to be honest, I mean, either way, you know, you're going to have a Manitoba representative. If it was Jen Jones or Tracy Fleury, um, I mean, huge success for Manitoba curling at the Olympic trials. Yeah, no doubt. We'll see if we can get the queen uh, on the program at some point soon. Actually spent quite a bit of time with her husband, Brett Lang, because Brent was on uh, the Epping team, which was um, sponsored by Coolbet as well. So we spent some time. Great guys. The curling people are just simply the best. Thrill of the entire thing, though, was having a few beers late night with Glenn Howard. What a legend. Anyone that, you know, has followed curling before knows Glenn um, you know, one of the greatest of all time in his own right. And uh, as great as he is on the ice, an even better dude. So anyways, great weekend. Thanks again to Chris and Coolbet for uh, for making all that happen. It was a real thrill, and we look forward to doing more again. And maybe the best thing about it all, Remus, is the fact that we somehow managed to pull off those shows on the road, which means now um, our ability both to go on road trips as well as elsewhere in the city at times going forward into 2022 has increased greatly. So uh, maybe we won't be spending all our times in our respective homes anymore. We can connect with some of our listeners and viewers a little bit more by heading out in and around Winnipeg, especially with some of our sponsors that we've been waiting to do something like this with. Yeah, I think that's the best part is that we know uh, we can go out and, you know, I like working at home. It's nice not having to put on on pants and come downstairs and <laughs> get to work. I think that's I don't think you can put a price on that. But uh, the ability to go out, as you said, uh, shake a couple of hands, uh, gives do something different, I think is definitely appealing. And uh, we know we can do that now. It's great. Yeah, no doubt. I know what was it, Shife saying, uh, Shife Boyardee. <laughs> Man, some of these names in the YouTube chat are hilarious. Oldest female Canadian Olympian athlete? I don't think Jen would be particularly proud of that. Don't say that to her. Are you kidding? They said it afterwards. She's absolutely proud of that. To be able to continue to do what she's done uh, at this age is inspiring to so many people. And it's not something to shy away from. It's something to embrace. Uh, I think we saw a lot of that yesterday. Um, uh, I'll tell you what. Those ladies could come back with another gold medal. 
Um, she's already the queen and the best to ever do it. Um, this would just further cement it. All right, Remo, we got to get to tons of hockey. Scott Billick is going to join us a little bit later on. Uh, Billick was down speaking with Paul Maurice today. We'll have some of Maurice. And uh, but to me, the, we, when we're talking about the Jets, let's start off with the guy we should be talking about, and that's Connor Hellebuck. Um, Hellebuck, after an embarrassing performance by his team on Friday, he got pulled. I would say more of a mercy pull than anything else, knowing that they were going to be traveling to Calgary, had another game the next day. And Maurice said himself, the minute he went out, he knew that he was going back in. And I was stunned. I mean, I can't remember the last time a goaltender got yanked in a game that went out and spoke to the media afterwards. But there he was. Um, and, you know, it wasn't an easy spot. It was he and Paul Stastny that spoke afterwards. And those were the two individuals that the media asked for. So they came out and did it. Stastny had just returned to the lineup. He kind of gave a more level-headed assessment of where the team was and what they needed to do going forward. Connor Hellebuck was spit and fire. And... I mean, this wasn't quite Mark Messier guaranteeing a win, you know, in the in the uh, in the playoffs with the New York Rangers, but it was pretty damn close. I mean, as far as what he promised to himself and the rest of you know anybody listening, that you know this BS is stopping right now and tomorrow. To quote Connor Hellebuck, it's on, and uh, and it was it was on all right. Uh, it was on 26 seconds into the game when Calgary was up one nothing. It was 2 nothing when they scored six seconds into their first power play. And from there on in, Connor Hellebuck said, uh, no mas. And, uh, you know, listen, the Jets were in a really tough situation. I don't think anyone expected them to go and skate circles around the Calgary Flames. Um, if you want to dig into the chances and the analytics and all that, it wasn't pretty. And it's certainly not a blueprint to win hockey games. But some point, at some point, you need some guys to step up and do something special. And that's exactly what Hellebuck did. Now, we'll talk about Connor Shafley Wheeler getting together. Of course, two goals for Kyle Connor, which was very nice to see. Um, but to me, the, we've known Connor Hellebuck's been the best player on this team for a long time. That was a performance that I think if this season kind of gets back on track and go well, we will look back as one of the most important moments for the Winnipeg Jets this year. Hopefully, that, you know, a guy. You know, obviously, you know, but we haven't had a captain on a team that was a goalie since Roberto Luongo, and I didn't, don't think that worked out very well. But make no mistake about it. I mean, he is the most important player on the Winnipeg Jets. He stepped up. He called his shot and followed through with it. And uh, because of that, we're talking about a team that has ended its losing streak going into tonight's game against the Arizona Coyotes, as opposed to coming back home, picking up their, licking their wounds and trying to figure out uh, how the heck they get this thing turned around. Yeah. I mean, uh, Friday's game has Friday's game was about as bad as it gets. Um, Black Friday afternoon game in Minnesota, I mean, when the Jumbotron is making jokes about a Black Friday sale on goals, I mean, as Mike McIntyre posted on Twitter, I think you just have to have to laugh. I mean, it wasn't wasn't great. Everything it was all around, you know, pretty rough. And uh, Hellbuck came out spoke. I do have uh, have that clip. Yeah, here. yeah. Let's fry this up. If you missed this after the game, many people afterwards probably wanted nothing. They just wanted to forget about the hockey team for twenty four hours up until the the game. Enjoy their Friday night. Uh, I understand that. Um, but this is what Hellebuck had to say after the game. Uh, listen to this. Well, tomorrow's on. Tomorrow, it's it's on. There, there's no more no more of this. We're going to give it to no, tomorrow. You know, um, <laughs> only Hellebuck could say something like that. I mean, I, I've for a long time, ever since he got here, has basically said he's been my favorite interview. 
He's been a guy that doesn't seem to have much of a filter. Uh, he always speaks what he's saying, and he has a level of confidence and conviction that you know, one can only hope to have in any aspect of their life. Um, but he was pissed off afterwards, as he should have been, as well as I think everyone in that locker room, and um, and stepped up and did it. And I'll tell you what, Reem, I mean, that win, while certainly no Picasso, uh, and lots to digest coming out of it, and as a team, I think they'll need to play much better, but I mean, was... You know, we realized what the schedule said. And if you went into last week going, hmm, when are they going to get a win? That probably would have been the last one you would have thought. So for Hellebuck to step up and then get some production out of the Connor Shifley and Wheeler line, um, a nice way to finish a miserable week. And, um, you know, you heard some of the relief, I think, from players and the coach later on uh, earlier today. And we'll talk about that with, uh, with Scotty Billick heading into tonight against... And again, you know, you don't want to rate teams too much. You still got to go out and get the job done. But uh, Arizona been at the bottom of the NHL standings since the beginning of the season. And uh, maybe that's just what the Jets needed after a real tough road trip. Yeah, I mean, they needed a win in the worst way. And it was probably not the way, not probably, it was not the way you would draw it up. I mean, um, you lose 7-1 and then 26 seconds in, uh, 26 being Blake Wheeler's number as well. Um, they, you know, Calgary comes in and scores and then six seconds, even then, okay. Then again, six seconds in on the penalty kill, which has been, um, pretty bad all season. Um, and you're down two nothing right away, but full credit to the jets. You know, they could have folded and we could have had another disastrous loss, but they hung in there by they, I mean, Connor Hellbuck helped them hang in there and he was absolutely incredible. And I agree, you know, we could talk who the best player is and it's in the past, but like, is it Connor? Is it Shifley? Ehlers, you know, Wheeler, that's who the debate is. But I think there's no question. Uh, Connor Hellbuck is, you know, the, is the MVP of this team. I'll, I'll say it. I mean, he helped, he backed up every single word that he said on Friday and maybe, you know, these guarantees are overblown, but he said it's on and he played his ass off after they were down two nothing. There had no business being in the game. Uh, I mean, you look at the shot attempts or, um, you know, the high danger chances. Calgary was all over the Jets. Um, you know, they even, and there were even a couple aspects about the Jets. We can get to them later, but um, they needed a win. And honestly, it doesn't really matter how, it, you know, how it happened. It wasn't the best and they got it. And, you know, you have this game against Arizona, who's the worst team in the league or among the worst. And then Friday against, then you get a couple days off on Friday. So it was a rough, you know, I agree. This I think the schedule, you know, it was the end of a road trip. It was a back-to-back. Uh, you knew it was going to be a tough one against Calgary, but we did. they pulled off the win. So full credit to the Jets, and I'll see tonight how it goes. One more thing about Saturday's game, and I tweeted about this extensively as it happened after the third period, but there were two main factors in the Jets' win. Number one was Connor Hellebuck's brilliance, and especially in the third period. I mean, there was a couple power plays early on. We know the issues the Jets have had on the penalty kill. And... Hellebuck had made 14 saves in the first half of the period. So that was one thing. And then the other thing, Remus, and again, I, 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 I'm dead serious when I tell you this. I had an incredible amount of confidence all of a sudden come over me when I saw the Calgary Flames fans doing the wave with in a 2-2 game with six minutes left in the game. I texted you. I'm like, the Jets are 100% scoring here. And that's exactly what happened. We will remember this as the Hellebuck comment game, the it's on, and the wave game. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if we will be remembering this game as a moment where the team was on a pretty bad losing streak and was able to rebound 
and you know get a win when the, stat, the odds were stacked against him. But as we've talked about before, in terms of wave etiquette, in a tie game in the third period, <laughs> wave etiquette. Like Look, in a tie game in a third period, if you're a fan, you want to be watching the game. You do not want to be wondering if the wave is coming towards you during the play. <laughs> That's not your focus. So, yes, I agree. In terms of wave etiquette, that is not the time. And if you believe in hockey gods, they rewarded the Jets. Although that was um, an absolutely insane shot by Kyle Connor. Um, those He's had a couple this year, Huss, where you jump out of your seat. You're like, oh, man, he does it over and over again. I used to get that feeling from you know watching Line A shoot the puck, but I think Kyle Connor, he is up there, and uh, yes, I, I agree agree with that. So one bird one bird WB. This wave fetish is a bit too superstitious. You're damn right it is. You are damn right it is one bird. It is absolutely superstitious. But by the same token, why I wouldn't suggest uh, singing na 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 na, you know, in a tie game or you know with a one goal lead with five or six minutes left in the game, I also would not suggest doing the wave at that time. So a little bit of karma helped the Jets out, maybe, just maybe, but eh, I kind of think it was number 37 more than anything that got the job done. So, of course, this sets up a big week. We got tonight, the Coyotes in town. As Remus just mentioned, three days off, day off, couple days of practice, and then the New Jersey Devils in town on Friday. And then Sunday, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. And it, this is shaping up. Sunday is going to be one of the most special sporting days in Winnipeg that we have had in so, so long. It starts off with the Bombers and the Riders, 3 p.m. at IG Field for a spot in the Grey Cup. And then 7 p.m., Jets, Leafs, downtown, Canada Life Center. And it will be a special game, too. I know Wheeler's taking some heat. This guy's been incredible for this franchise since he got here. 1,000 games in the National Hockey League. Um, so I'll tell you what, um, buckle up for Sunday, make your plans. And as far as the Bomber game goes, they're approaching 30,000 tickets sold. You know some Ryder fans are going to be stepping up to do it. So get your hands on some seats for that game. Make sure you're accounted for. Let's see that building full and one of the great atmospheres in Canadian sports on Sunday afternoon, because I can tell you, pretty disappointing, the crowd in Saskatchewan yesterday for the Riders. We'll talk about that with Justin Dunk coming up in a couple minutes, um, and we'll have extensive bomber coverage throughout the week, getting ready for the big game on Sunday afternoon. Um, we'll get back to the Jets a little bit later on, but I do want to break down everything that happened over the course of the weekend in the Canadian Football League. Um, before we do that, I want to thank our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market. Had those great Black Black Friday sales on Friday, but they've got great sales and great prices on the best selection of organic, natural groceries, supplements, and beauty products all year long. Uh, an incredible staff, too, to help you get the products that make the most sense for you. Um, you know, we're just finishing up November, uh, which is Men's Health Month, and uh, there's great products at Vita Health to support prostate, energy, libido, stress management, and more. Um, and, of course, the other thing is they've got a great grab-and-go deli which um, has just some amazing healthy salads and sandwiches. Uh, it can maybe keep you out of the drive through a little bit more and more uh, doing what you're hoping to be doing, and that's uh, eating clean and eating healthy. Um, Vita Health, seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store over in Linden Ridge, and you can check them out online at myvita.ca. Well, while we're talking about living well, um, first on that list is drinking water. And when you think of water and water services in Winnipeg, you think of Culligan Water, 
family-owned, celebrating 65 years here in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba. Uh, they really do have it all. You can see them over at 1200 Sargent or give them a call at 204-694-5180. Uh, they've got it all. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, bottle-free coolers, as well as whole home drinking systems and citywide water, citywide water delivery for you and your family. And if you're listening to this afterwards, maybe coming home from work and realizing, geez, we may need to step up our water game at the office. Culligan Water has commercial and industrial water products and solutions for whatever you need. You can find out more online at drinkculligan.com or pop down, pop down and see the Culligan Man over at 12. 100 Sargent Avenue and uh, still a couple days for you healthcare and frontline workers to take care of Manitoba batteries November special uh, they will pay the taxes on any automotive battery that you need thanking all of you for helping us get through the challenges of COVID and of course the snows arrived right now we're getting some uh, outdoor ice and uh, it's just about sled season right now. If you need a battery for a sled, they've got, no matter what sled you have it, they've got the battery for it, usually ranging from about 65 to $75. Find out more, manitobabattery.com, or pop down and see Danny, uh, Donnie, the godfather, the rest of the gang at 1026 Logan, or give them a call at 783-8787. All right, bombers, riders, Connor Hellebuck said it was on on Saturday night. Well, it's definitely on on Sunday afternoon. You got the Argos and the Ticats. You got the Bombers and the Riders. Two great historic rivalries. And the winner of these two games will battle for the Grey Cup in Hamilton two years after the Bombers won in 2019. Let's bring in Mr. Justin Dunk to get to the bottom of it. JD, what's up? Great to have you on the show. Yeah, buddy. Some CFL playoff ball. My man, your hype's for it. I like it, Huss. Dude, this whole city is ready to go. And I was watching the game. And listen, I think from a Bomber fan standpoint, you've got to be confident with whoever you're playing. I mean, they've earned that confidence through the way that they played this season. But I will be honest, I wanted the Riders. I mean, just for the atmosphere alone. I mean, regardless if you think one team would be a tougher out, the a Bomber-Rider West final is... I mean, there's been a lot of challenges for the league this year. And to be honest, I think that this will be a spectacle. It'll be something that we've missed a lot of this year. And that's a full stadium packed with fans actually showing up after buying their tickets. And uh, <laughs> it's hard to imagine this West finishing up in a better way than we will see on Sunday afternoon coming up here in the peg. Indeed, it's an ideal scenario for the CFL and obviously the Winnipeg Blue Bombers hosting the West final, having gone through the regular season largely untouched. I mean, there was that blip in Toronto when they were actually trying to win football games. The Bombers are going to be a decided favorite. Hustler, I know you're into putting cash down as well on this game. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they were 10-point favorites, to be quite honest, especially with the way the Riders played. But the atmosphere should be amazing. And you got all, of course, the green and white fans coming up and making the trip from the prairies to get to IG Field. So I just really love that the way that it's worked out. Yeah, yeah the anticipation is uh, <laughs> it's high right now. And it was already. I mean, we've been taught. The crazy thing is, GD, we have been talking about this game on December 5th since October. Yeah. I mean, with a month left in the season, everybody knew that the Bombers were hosting the West final. And, you know, they've sort of been, like you mentioned, kind of trying to get through these last couple of weeks, trying to make sure that your top players don't get injured. You do have to field the team. You got to go out and play. 
Um, but now it's back to work. And they were even practicing last week going into the weekend, obviously taking a look at both Calgary and Saskatchewan. But now they know they've got their arch rivals coming in. And I'll tell you what, a big, big challenge for the riders when you consider the way the Labor Day Classic and the Banjo Bowl went. I mean, these were absolute skunkings by the blue and gold. The Saskatchewan is still yet to score a touchdown against the Bombers this year. Exactly. And I think that's being lost here, especially you pair that with the way the riders performed on offense, or should I say the way that they didn't perform in the West semifinal, like they barely got out of that game against a Calgary team who has bullied by Mitchell at well less than 100%. And yes, there's some other nice pieces on the roster there, but clearly it was not the stamps year. So the fact that they just eked by does not bode well for this week against Winnipeg. They got to find a way somehow early to put some points on the board on offense like that is going to be the key to me I understand that you know they were able to put some points up through special teams and defense in the West semifinal and beat the stamps but the offense has got to find a rhythm I'm not necessarily sure that you can even do that against the Blue Bombers defense led by Adam Big Hill who's my pick to be the league most outstanding defensive player and there's a couple other guys on the Bombers defense that have an argument for that as well. Of course, Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat. So Cody Fajardo has got to find a way to put some sort of a drive together, I think even on the first possession, to get them in a positive mental mind state because it is going to be an absolute madhouse in there at IG Field. It's the first one there, West Final, Huts, in how long? Well, the West Final, I think since 71 or 72, like in my lifetime. I mean, literally, I think that might have been Bob Irving's first <laughs> year of calling games. He's going to finish it up with Bombers Riders at IG Field. It has been a long time. We did have the East Final here in 2011, which was an incredibly cold day, a memorable day. But that was that was a different team in that, like, the, that was the Swaggerville defense year, and the defense was incredible. But they basically dragged an impotent offense all the way to the Grey Cup and, you know, <laughs> were unable to get it done. This team just seems so complete that, um, you know, you wonder what it would take for them not to be there in the Grey Cup. But as they say, that's why they play the games. But let's get to the riders for a minute, because you mentioned the offense. Speaking of laying down wagers yesterday, my pick sucked yesterday with the exception of two, the riders and the Ravens last night. And if you told me <laughs> I was going to back two quarterbacks who both threw four picks and they would not only win the game, but cover the spread. I would have told you you were insane, and yet that happened. But talk about Fajardo's performance and the way he bounced back in the second half after a very, very sketchy first 30. Super sketchy. I mean, throwing those interceptions just did not look sharp passing the football less than 200 yards overall. Obviously, the picks stand out, but the key for Fajardo was what he did with his legs. Now, it's not going to be that easy on the ground for him against the Blue Bombers. So, in my mind, he's really the key to this football game. And yeah, it's easy to say that because he's the quarterback, but you mentioned it off the top of the conversation. The Riders have not scored a touchdown against the Blue Bombers. So Fajardo needs to find a rhythm here. And most critically, as a passer from the pocket, because it is much more difficult to try to run around and get away from Willie Jefferson, who has a seven-foot wingspan, and Jackson Jeffcoat, who's one of the top pass rushers, of course, in the CFL. Both those dudes... Jackson and Jeffcoat got my vote for the CFL All-Star Award. So we're talking about a pair of bookends in my mind that should be CFL All-Stars that Fajardo's got to deal with. So he has to find a way, Hustler, if it's even possible, 
to get those little holes in the defense before Brandon Alexander comes down from a safety spot and lays a beat down. Yeah, he, um, I mean, he will have to have his best game of the season. Um, and it was funny, you know, I just, you know, now we're talking odds again, but going into the year, Fajardo was clearly, and maybe just because the Riders are such a public team and have a big fan base, but when you look at the odds on who is going to be the MOP, I mean, in some spots, Fajardo was like two to one or two and a half to one. And their offense just has not been, uh, I think, what was expected. And a lot of the the attention as it you know happens in pro football has been on the shoulders of the quarterback. I'll say this about Fajardo, though. I mean, it looked like they were done. I mean, they were down four points. They had like less than three minutes left in the game. And I'll have to give him a lot of credit. I mean, for a guy that had already thrown four picks, he came out for that final drive, Justin, and, you know, played with the confidence like he had absolutely no recollection of all the bad balls that he'd thrown over the course of the, the afternoon and went out and drove the team all the way down into the end zone to go up by three. And uh, if you're a Ryder fan, I mean, you know that you're going up, you're going to be a big underdog, you're going on the road. Um, if there's one thing to focus on, on the positives, it's the way Fajardo was able to step up late in the game when they needed him. It certainly was. And I think that you put it pretty succinctly there. And it looked like Fajardo on that last drive was a quarterback that had thrown for 300 plus yards and four touchdowns not thrown for, you know, just over 104 picks, right? So the <laughs> fact that he can compartmentalize that and put it out of his mind is a bonus and could lead to positive things for the riders going forward. But you mentioned the expectations coming into the year, Huss, and I would argue, and I think it's back now, that Fajardo looked better in Stephen McAdoo's offense, and McAdoo was run out of town there. And there were questions behind the scenes, not necessarily publicly, when Jason Moss was hired as the offensive coordinator. Nothing against Moss as an offensive guru. That he's certainly proven he is. But the match with Fajardo, because people felt like Fajardo doesn't have that high-end arm strength that would sync up with what Moss likes to do, and that's push the football down the field. And we've seen a lot of talk about it during the year. Duke Williams has helped squash some of that, but in terms of the deep ball going down the field, the 50-50 ball, Fajardo's been frustrated with it. But when he was at his best in 2019, and we can't forget, he was the CFL All-Star quarterback in 2019. Like He was a West Division nominee for the MOP award, and there were some people hotly debating that it should have been him over Brandon Banks in 2019. I, for one, didn't think so. I voted for Banks that year, but I can see where the argument was to be made. So the offense has completely changed. It's his first year in the system, even though he had the COVID year off to learn with Moss. So that to me is more the issue. It's not so much Fajardo's talent. It's the offense not necessarily fitting his strengths. You know what the other thing, Dunk, is that uh, about the Riders, and I'm sure Randy Ambrose is very happy with the result of yesterday's game for one reason. Well, for a couple reasons. One, the atmosphere will just get ramped up a little bit more with the Riders here and the great rivalry. But we won't be spending the entire week talking about the unvaxxed members of the Calgary Stampeders whose seasons were basically done <laughs> and couldn't come to Winnipeg. That was a wild sort of story, a little bit under the surface going into the game. But from a lot of people that are pretty tuned in, yourself included, um, it seemed like there were some pretty significant members of the Calgary Stampeders that might not have been able to come. And I'll tell you what, that's the last thing that Randy Ambrosi would have wanted to be a dominating storyline going into the biggest weekend outside of the Great Cup all year. That would have been the storyline going into the West Final. There were even some people saying to me behind the scenes, hey, could the Stamps travel 
like right after they beat the Raiders and get there before that date, right? And then I don't know how you would get them home, but they would have to drive there. I don't know if the league would have allowed that, so I'm saying that facetiously, obviously. But, yeah, Randy Ambrosi's got to be happy that it's Riders Bombers for a lot of reasons. But the point you brought up about the Stampeders unvaccinated players has to be number one. Oh, and it certainly would have been. So uh, anyways, the Stamps can figure out their business over the course of the next few months, and we'll see them next season. It's Winnipeg. It's a snatch one in the West Final. The winner to play the uh, victor between the Argos and the Ticats. And I'll be honest, I thought that game might be a little bit closer yesterday, particularly with all the spunk that Montreal had going into the game. <laughs> um, but very impressive second quarter by the Ticats, especially managing you know, grinding out a few extra points in that final minute. Um, and now they get another crack at the Argos um, in a situation, in a place that it didn't go very well the last time they were there, Justin. And the last time they went and there was so much on the table, they could have won two games. They wouldn't have had to play last week. They would have had this game at home. It didn't happen. Um, the Argos have been very, have had some success against the the Ticats. What do you make of this matchup? And, and where is Hamilton as a team going into Toronto next week? Maybe as opposed to the way they looked a few weeks ago. In terms of the Ticats right now, they came out yesterday and the defense really dominated that afternoon at Tim Hortons Field. It was the turnovers that changed the tide completely of that football game. So there's still issues on offense there. It doesn't look like, for whatever reason, they're in sync across the board. And yes, Jeremiah Mastoli hit Brandon Banks for the touchdown to put them up. But that came off turnover. We got to remember that. So there wasn't many long, sustained drives that we're used to seeing from Masoli and offensive coordinator Tommy Condell and the rest of the guys. And there's not the explosive plays there with Banks outside of that 20-yard touchdown that was a diamond double coverage, funnily enough, over Patrick Levels, who guaranteed that win. And Banks had a lot to say and then said after the game, there's only two guarantees in life, adversity and death. And don't come out guaranteeing wins unless you can actually back it up. And Levels in a post game, to his credit, said, I go into every game thinking I'm going to win, as he should. So he said every single time he would guarantee it, although he was certainly emotional, you could see the te tears on his face, he left it on the field. But the Ticats are going to have to play much better football on offense to beat the Argonauts. They cannot rely on the defense forcing a bunch of turnovers again and getting the ball loose from Trevor Harris. And now, obviously, this week it's going to be McLeod Bethel-Thompson. They have to put together complimentary football the offense must show up you know the, the whole levels thing was i mean it was awesome for those of us in the media i mean it gives everyone something to talk about it makes a great sound bite on tsn heading into the game and it did give the r the uh, ticat social media team a chance to do a touchdown Ooh. dance on levels and drag him <laughs> with a highlight co a collage of his comments and then him getting burned by every guy that he called out so uh <laughs> listen it, it made for some great entertainment um, but there, there must've been so much pressure on the Ticats though, yesterday to get that win. And from the sounds of people that have been around the team, I mean, this, the fact of what happened in 2019 as a big favorite, getting trounced by the bombers in that great cup game, knowing the great cups finally going to Hamilton in the new stadium this year. Um, it's almost been expected that they were going to be there all season long and it, maybe they're peaking at the right time. Certainly that's what Ticat fans will hope for. But it hasn't been the team that I think everyone expected when they showed up in Winnipeg here for game number one of the season. There was a lot of pressure on the Ticats team from the jump in 2021. And you could tell that a lot by Orlando Steinauer deflecting questions about their 15-3 and three season. He continually said, we are a different team. There are other pieces here. But still, 
the core was there from that team and they weren't going to get away from it, as you said, because they're hosting the Grey Cup. And to the average fan or the people that might not necessarily tune into the CFL every week in the Hamilton area, I can tell you there from being a sports anchor at CHCH that there was an expectation that, oh, if the Ticats are hosting the Grey Cup, that just means they're going to be in it. Like that's what people's expectations are. And they don't necessarily know the iterations and that you still have to go through the playoffs, right? So there has been a ton of pressure in that city for the Ticats to get to the Grey Cup game. They're 60 minutes away from it, but they're going to have to beat a team in Toronto that has proven in crunch time they can make the more critical plays, at least in 2021. On the flip side, though, if I'm the Ticats, I'm breaking down that film against Toronto, and I'm saying we are literally like two plays away from hosting the East Final and a much different record. Like, let's say instead of eight and six, the Ticats are 10 and four, right? Because a couple of those comebacks that the Argos engineered, especially the last one where McLeod Bethel Thompson throws a crazy touchdown to Devaris Daniels in the end zone, and then Boris Bidet hits a long field goal, 50-plus yards for the Argos to win. If those things don't happen, yes, the plays were made, we're looking at this game completely differently. So I think the Ticats are well in it. They understand that they can compete with the Argos. And if they had a couple big plays offensively, Masoli to Brandon Banks or Tim White, Jalen Acklin or what have you, then they'll be right in this ballgame with a great chance to win. Yeah, the, uh, from the Argos side of things, I mean, what is uh, they've been the most surprising team to me. I mean, I thought that they might be a playoff team, but I mean, I was really you know expecting it to be Hamilton. And then we'll see what happens with Montreal and Toronto. But, you know, those teams wouldn't be in the class of the Ticats. Well, that hasn't been the story at all. They've earned home field advantage. They had the buy-off this week, which certainly can be very, very helpful when you're getting ready for a massive playoff game. But uh, I mean, when you look and break down the film of the Argos, how are they here? How have they done it? And why should people think that they can get it done on the weekend at home against the Ticats, the team that everyone had already anointed as the East winner months ago? First off, I really thought that the Argos were going to be competitive in the East, and I always had them pegged as a playoff team and being above Montreal just for the talent they brought in. So to me, the major question mark was Ryan Dinwiddie and the new staff. So in terms of the direct answer to how have they gotten here, McLeod Bethel-Thompson has taken that starting job over, clearly, from Nick Arbuckle, who, funnily enough, played his best game against Winnipeg Blue Bombers in that win, and then got traded out of town. we got to remember the Argos wanted Arbuckle to be the starter. They gave him $150,000 up front. That's nothing to sneeze at, especially in the CFL and these COVID days. And they were giving him every opportunity and even put McLeod Bethel-Thompson back on the bench after he led them to a win in week one over Calgary that no one saw coming. So McLeod Bethel-Thompson, I believe, is sort of a symbol of this team, right? He's a well-traveled guy. He's come to Toronto and he's gotten his opportunity, and the rest of the guys have been assembled, and some people make cracks about the salary cap, but from all I can gather, they'll be well under it. So they've assembled this talented roster and come together quickly, and largely, in my mind, it's been the defense, right? Because if you look at the offense, it's not like there's been a lot of explosive plays. They've had their moments. DJ Foster is the dude that I look at that the Ticats must contain and not let him get loose. But on defense, it's been the guys over there. And it wouldn't be who you think, right? A lot of people thought going into the year it was going to be Charleston Hughes. But it's been a guy like Sean Oakman, who was in the NFL and was an absolute freak at Baylor University, that's taken over games at times. They have Enoch Mwamba in the middle of the defense. They have Chris Edwards at Sam Linebacker, who was my pick for the CFL All-Star position at that Sam spot. So the defense has been really stout. Special 
teams have been strong, and the offense has had some timely plays for the Argos to be able to host the East Final. Uh, so, uh, JD, before we go, fill us in on uh, what you guys have coming up all week at Three Down Nation and who you expect to be representing the East and West in Hamilton on the 12th. Well, first of all, at the site of Three Down Nation, appreciate the plug, buddy. We'll have wall-to-wall coverage leading up to the East and West final. Anybody says anything stupid, you can bet that we'll have it. We got the juice, what's going on behind the scenes, and of course, if there's any breaking news, although CFL, in terms of the official team announcements in my mind has put a bit of a moratorium on that until the great cup's over now. So everybody can focus on the games, but if there's any juice going on behind the scenes, you know, you can get it at three downnation.com. So overall, in terms of the games, I'm no, like, there's no way I'm going against picking the Winnipeg blue bombers. Okay. They get through. I think it's actually rather easily. I don't care if there's any pitchforks thrown at me from Saskatchewan or not on the flip side. I actually really like the approach that Ty cats took to Patrick levels they internalized it, and the message didn't necessarily got out, but it sort of trickled out that they're moving as one is what Simone Lawrence said, that they didn't want to respond as an individual to what Level said because they wanted to show him as a team on the field. Now, Banks did a little bit after the game, but I think this team is so tight-knit and is cohesive, and that's been lost in some of the struggles, especially on offense. Well, I actually think the Ticats show up and get some revenge for what's happened earlier in the year, and we get that rematch in the hammer could be epic <laughs> absolutely hey just on the way out what did you make edmonton blowing it all up it seemed like they pretty much had to do it. it's going to cost them some money it's going to make some challenges going forward but that entire community had just lost absolutely all faith in everybody running the show with the elks it was needed and i had multiple people saying to me way back when they hired and this is no slight against them it just didn't make sense chris press and the president why, as a Canadian organization, right, based north, north of the border, would you hire an American who has never done any business in Canada whatsoever, like never worked for a professional sports team up here or anything? It was clear that he was not able to tie that team to the community and further the great tradition there of the EE football team. So he had to be gone. It was very clear to me. You just look at the record, Huss. Every year Brock Sunderland was the general manager there. They got worse, okay? Like, how can you even keep them on? I didn't understand how they gave them the extension in the first place. So we got to remember, the people making that decision was the board of directors. So that's on them. You know, it's going to cost them around a million dollars and that the guys get other jobs and it won't cost them as much. We've got to remember, kind of like the NBA, there's one amnesty clause so they can get rid of one of those contracts. The president's contract doesn't count. And then they can pay out It'll likely be Jamie Elizondo's deal over five years. So it might not necessarily hurt them a ton in the football operations cap. And we know sometimes the CFL likes to make it up as they go along. So they might just say, hey, forget about the money. Just get your product back to a decent level where people actually show up to Commonwealth Stadium. Well, it, it's important. I mean, it's been it was stunning to see some of those crowds in Edmonton. And, and to be honest, it was pretty shocking to see the crowd in Saskatchewan yesterday, too. And I mean, I know that curling. I was up in Saskatoon all week uh, doing the Olympic curling, which was a hell of a lot of fun. And there were a lot of rider fans that were there were fired up for the game and the patch was going crazy yesterday for it. But I mean, it was just stunning to see all those uh, all those empty seats. And I got to say that. That for Randy Ambrosi, the people in the Ryder organization, and really just people that love the CFL, uh, was a little bit of, uh, well, it was shocking and frankly a little scary. And concerning, especially when you consider public enemy number one for any Ryder fan is Bo Levi Mitchell, right? They hate on that guy and they like to say, 
ABC, right? Anybody but Calgary. So the fact that that place wasn't packed to the brim with all those green watermelon head wearing fans, and it's really concerning for the league. No doubt about it. JD, can't wait for all the content you guys will be having coming up in three down throughout the week. And of course, all great cup week next week in Hamilton. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, buddy. Appreciate you, Hus. Keep keeping it real out there, my man. <laughs> you got it. There's Justin Dunk. Give him a follow on Twitter at jdunk12. You can check he and our guy John Hodge with all great CFL coverage over at 3 Down Nation. Uh, you know, I always mention about that big Saturday. Um, you're going to need your bomber gear. You're going to need your jet gear because it really is going to be a very special day. Wheeler's 1,000th game against the Leafs at 7 o'clock following the first West Final since 1972 here in Winnipeg. And our friends at Royal Sports have you covered a ton of bomber gear, a ton of Jets gear. When it comes to licensed merchandise for all your favorite teams, there is only one place you need to go, and that, of course, is Royal Sports. Hell, you could probably take care of about 90% of your Christmas shopping in one visit over to Royal. Of course, they have the hockey superstore as well. they got snowboarding stuff. Lots of great things to do outside of the winter and the greatest selection of both merchandise and activewear anywhere in town. Royal Sports, follow them on Instagram for all the great deals. They had tons going on for Black Friday at Royal Sports Pembina, and give them a pop in and see them over at 750 Pembina Highway. Uh, people will be excited to know that I'm going to the game with Trevor Knott from Knott Auto Corp. We are going to be back in our seats where we are undefeated this year, an undefeated period. Don't want to call the shot, but uh, I'm expecting a win as everyone else is. It's going to be great. Knott Auto Corp, of course, big supporters of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the place to go before you do anything if you're looking for a new vehicle. Why not get into the car of your dreams at an incredible price with the help of the Knott team? Pop down and visit them at Waverly and McGilvery. Check out the new Winnipeg Car Lab as well. Incredible services they're doing there on the lot indeed. Uh, Winnipeg Car Lab on all the social feeds. And you can find out more on everything they've got going at Knott Auto Corp over at Knott.ca. And uh, we've got a, a happy birthday to announce. Uh, our friends at Little Brown Jug are celebrating five years. Remo and I are going to go down there and heck up with Kevin, the owner, later on this week to do a little bit of a, uh, a chat with him about five years in the beer industry. Really looking forward to that. Uh, but, you know, they're not just saying, hey, happy birthday to us. They've cranked out a new five-year anniversary brew, the Brute IPA, which is now available. It's a celebratory beer Brewed for Little Brown Jug's fifth anniversary, a champagne-like extra-dry IPA with flavors of citrus and fruit. Uh, they've also got beautiful five-year tulip glasses, which would make for great gifts, along with the Brewed IPA. Uh, they've got some brand-new Little Brown Jug toques. The merch has always been highly high-end over at Little Brown Jug. Uh, and if you're thinking about what to get a friend uh, for Christmas, how would a Little Brown Jug gift box um, they've got some great gift boxes available. Folks can select one of the curated gift box or create their own by adding some merch and beer and adding the custom gift box to their cart as well. And they'll put it together for them and deliver gift boxes and everything going on at Little Brown Jug can be found at littlebrownjug.ca or pop down in person to the tap room over on William Avenue. All right, we're going to have Scott Billick join us. In a few minutes, let me get Remus back in here because a uh, great conversation on CFL. We'll be all over the game all week long, but continue to let you know that if you don't have your ticket already, let's get in there. Over 28,000 already as of yesterday. I know there's a big push today on them as well. Would love to see that well above 30,000. And uh, 
the more blue, the better. But I'm even here for some of our friends from uh, a province west coming over uh, just to make the atmosphere that much better. Uh, but Rima, while we transition from the Canadian Football League back to the Winnipeg Jets and talk to Scott, some big news in the NHL. I know people are talking about biting, the biting incident. We'll get to that after we talk Jets and after Paul Maurice because we've got a quite a funny clip to play at the end of the program. Uh, but man, lots going on in Montreal. Mark Bergevin out. Former Rangers GM Jeff Gordon hired. I'm not sure whether this is just a sort of an end around so that Jeff Gordon can run the team without being able to speak French. But it sounds like he's going to be directing the hockey operations department. And they're now searching for general manager who, of course, will need to speak French. It's stunning that this is the team that swept the Winnipeg Jets in four straight games just a few months ago and went all the way to the Stanley Cup final and is now floundering near the bottom of the NHL standings and now doing it without Mark Bergevin, who uh, it sounded like wasn't going to be coming back anyways, um, but they're moving on it right now, trying to get this thing turned around, or at least for next season. Yeah, this whole thing kind of started um, Saturday when Scott Mellonby, who was assistant GM, stepped down. And he stepped down, the report was because he wasn't going to be named GM. Well, why would he be named the GM? They already have a GM, Mark Bergevin. Then I think the speculation and uh, more digging was done, and it turned out that, yeah, uh, Mark Bergevin was going to be out and Jeff Gordon in. I mean, you look at Mark Bergevin's track record as GM, you know, the drafting has been poor. Um, and, I mean, I think he was on the way to losing his job last year, but they somehow, well, by somehow, I mean, Carey Price carried them into the <laughs> Stanley Cup final, one of the more unlikely uh, trips. I mean, some, they, you know, they beat... I mean, credit to them. They beat the Leafs, beat the Jets, and beat Vegas. Nobody saw that coming. But I really think um, he was, you know, he's in his, entering his last year. He was on his way out, and I don't think his track record, uh, I think drafting has been huge. I mean, number of players. You compare, you know, the Jets well, no to No worse to pick Montreal. than their first pick last year, and the then, Logan Mayu. Yeah, and then they went and picked Logan Mayu after he said he didn't want to be picked. I mean... It was that. I mean, that was pretty pretty rough, and I think it definitely tarnished uh, the brand there for the Canadians for a bit. But um, I think the writing was on the wall for him. He was in the last year, and they just haven't had the success um, that a GM should have. And I think it was time for it to move on. And um, one of the more least surprising uh, GM firings, I think. And yeah, I mean, it was it was going to happen whether it was at the end of the season and him walking away. I think they were already getting ready for a turnover of a uh, power within the hockey operations department. It is interesting though to see Jeff Gordon join the organization and kind of have a one of the things you now that Jeff Molson said that you know, and again, just to that Logan Mayu thing, it was such an embarrassment and a black eye for the Habs and the National Hockey League and the way that it went down. Um, you know, he sort of said that if there was more than one person involved in that decision, that doesn't happen. Um, so take take that for what it's worth. I mean, Bergevin did do some good things there. Uh, but man, that team and, 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 and the team now, there's no Shea Weber. Carey Price hasn't played. Phil Deneau's in L.A. Kakaniemi's in, in, uh, in Carolina. And the whole Christian Dvorak experiment so far to replace Kakaniemi has not gone very well. Of course, Dvorak's former team, the Coyotes, are here tonight to take on the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, so much to get to on the local hockey squad coming out of a weekend that started with an embarrassing drilling at the hands of the Minnesota Wild. And then one of the more unlikely victories in recent Jets history with Connor Hellebuck standing on his head and backing up everything he said after getting pulled on Friday. Let's talk about it with Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun. Scotty, how are you, man? 
I'm doing good, Huss. How are you doing, man? How was the week in Saskatoon? You know what? It was awesome. It was awesome. Your guy, Ted Wyman, yeah. running things. It's great. You know, Ted, <laughs> Ted being on the curling beat for a long time has the pulse of it. And Ted's a good dude. If anyone's met him or uh, had a beer with him, uh, a very fun individual. And he was in his element. Jay Bell was there. Melissa Martin was out there. And to be honest, the action on the ice was amazing. And, you know, as someone that hasn't really been involved in the curling scene before, to get out there, the people are just so it's tremendous. fun. It is yeah. so fun. I, I I heartily recommend, you know, if you have a chance to get to a Briar or a Scotty's, go out for a few days, take in what's going on, because uh, it was great. So both at the rink and away from the rink, it was an absolute blast, with the exception of making a point of going down to the Shark Club or Boston Pizza or wherever I could to watch the Jet games, because those were miserable for yeah. the most part of last week when I was going to watch it on the road. Changed certainly as the result went on Saturday night against the Flames. But let's back this up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, Paul Maurice, and we'll hear from Maurice a little later on. And I, I honestly, I sort of subscribe to this. I mean, it was sort of stunning the way last week went because I mean, I'll be honest, coming out of those two Edmonton games, I'm thinking like, man, this team is playing with Edmonton. Yeah, Stewie Skins went crazy on on uh, on the Thursday night game and they couldn't score. They ended up losing in a shootout, whatever. Um, the fact that they played the way they did against Edmonton um, and the way they played up until that point, I think, was you know exciting. You, you then have that Vancouver game yeah. where I, I thought at five on five, they were clearly the better team. But once again, they got sunk by some bad penalties and bad penalty mm -hmm. killing. And then they moved on to air, to Columbus and there was a bit of a lull there. And then the disaster in the Twin Cities on Black Friday. They gave a new meaning to Black Friday, certainly for local Winnipeg hockey fans. What did you make of how we went from the way the team was playing against Edmonton to, um, you know, that miserable afternoon in the Twin Cities? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what to make of it. I just, I wonder if that Edmonton game that they lost after putting up 41 shots just kind of sunk them a little bit. Like, I don't know how much that hits your confidence. I don't know, you know, like you put every, they, they put everything in that game. and and. You know, I'll say this. I, we It was me and Jeff Hamilton. We were down there after that game. We were both in Edmonton. And Paul Maurice is sitting there talking to us, and he's, like, visibly shaking. I don't know if you guys played Street Fighter, but, like, Blanca, when he does his little, like, shaking thing or whatever. <laughs> you know, like, that was Paul Maurice. Like, it looked like, you know, this guy had just, like, gotten off of, like, 10 cups of coffee and had sunk in. And and, and he was, like, and he said, like, he, he was like, that game was awesome. Like, you know, like. He was pumped about how that game was, and the players were too. Like they and and Palmer said this, so they they put a lot into that game, and to lose, like I, I don't know, like it's one of those losses where you you still got a point out of it, but you probably feel bad. The goal that they allowed was just like unbelievable, but Ehlers' goal was just as nice. So like it like not not just as nice, it was nice as well. But there was so much expended in that game, and you come back, and then you play Pittsburgh. And, and it's just, you're coming home, it's almost like a road trip stop, right? Because it's one game and then you're back out on the road again. The Vancouver game, yeah, like, I agree with you. I thought, yeah, there it is, fantastic. <laughs> well, Remo's working quickly. Good job, Remo. Um, but yeah, no, like, I thought that, you know, the, the Pittsburgh game was kind of like, okay, they got up one nothing, and they just couldn't figure it out after that. Um, uh, you know, the Vancouver game, you know, Ehlers had uh, enough chances 5-on-5 five five to win that game single-handedly. And he missed, and that's kind of been part of what Ehlers has been going through lately, just not really scoring a whole lot. And then, yeah, the Columbus game, you know, I don't want to call that one a no-show, but 
they kind of got lost in that game, it seems, right? And and it, it seemed like that's kind of where the real turning point was, where they were starting to sacrifice a little bit of the defense, that five-man unit that they've talked about, trying to get a goal, right? Because, you, you know, you, you hadn't gotten a goal since the first period of the Pittsburgh game. Now it's into your second game. And obviously that that went right to like the final period of the Minnesota game where you get a garbage goal on, on the power play. But you know, it, it's interesting too because I wonder how much that goal actually, you know, kind of at least helped the Jets reinvigorate them just a little bit before going into Calgary there. Because like that goal, that goal killed two things for them. It killed their their shutout streak, and it killed their their power play the run where they hadn't scored a goal. And so then you go into Calgary and they win a game like the Winnipeg Jets win a game. They get heavily outplayed. Connor Hellbuck stops everything that's put in front of them or most things. And the Jets take advantage of opportunities. And that's exactly what happened. And and so here you are, you know, the Jets are back home now for a couple. Um, and yeah, I mean, this feels like a trap game tonight. I mean, you know, it, it's it has that feel to it. But at the same time, I mean, I had to look up whatever the Arizona starting tonight. His name is Carol something or rather. And I've never heard of this guy. He's he's one and nine on the season. Like you can't you can't lose to a guy that's one and nine and a team that's four and twelve and one or whatever they are. Like, yeah, th- this is a game where it's like you know the road trip was weird. Everything was kind of weird. The team kind of just lost its identity or whatever it had built up until then. And now they got to come in. You know they win against Calgary, which is on the hottest teams in the NHL going into Saturday. And now they got to play one of the worst, and and so that's going. It's it's interesting. It's just an interesting game because we, I, th- I feel like we've been here before. Yeah, well, and, and you know, you mentioned Saturday night. I mean, Saturday was the blueprint of previous Jets years where they didn't have the talent in the lineup. They right. were getting dominated when it came to the analytics, your shot share, your grade A scoring chances, and you know they won on the back of Connor Hellebuck. I yeah. mean, that that had not been happening at all this year. I mean, you know, no. right up until this past week and I'll basically to the end of that Edmonton game. And even if you want to include the five on five play against Vancouver, I mean, the Jets were a very good team, very different than they've been before. And, you know, a lot of the criticism that you'd heard is certainly the people that are always that are out to get Paul Maurice had sort of quieted down because of the way that the team did. And a lot of the credit goes to the general manager with the guys that they would put in. But man, it was amazing how that turned on a dime after a couple of of, of ugly losses. And then, you know, the one yeah. on Friday, I mean, it just got away from them. And I was trying to yeah. think about, you know, in Jets 2.0 history, where does that one rank as, uh, you know, one that, you know, just a miserable, miserable hockey game. And God knows we don't want to be masochists and go through all the worst losses <laughs> ever. But put it this way, it was in the conversation. and. Sure. You know, to hear Hellebuck talk the way that he did afterwards, and I mean, you're around the post game a lot more. I mean, when was the last time a goalie talked after getting pulled? Very, very rarely does that happen. And um, and you know, I sort of made a comment afterwards on Twitter saying, you know, like where were, you know, like hey, it was you know, props to Hellebuck for standing up and speaking, and you know, I loved what he had to say. Yeah. And Paul Stastny just got back in the lineup, but sort of where were the guys? you know, with the letters on their, on their chest uh, after a game like this. And you know what? And then I kind of reached out and I mean, nobody asked for them. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be volunteering to go up and talk about that game afterwards. Yeah. If no one was asking me for me to do it, but I'll tell you what, I mean, the leadership of Connor Hellebuck and you know, he is, he is a guy that he says some interesting things. I mean, he's very fun to talk. He's a quirky goalie, but he yeah. was pissed off afterwards. And I mean, when he says something like that, it's on, it's on. And then the team starts the way that it did on Saturday night against Calgary, giving up 126 seconds in. 
giving up a power play goal six seconds into the first one. I mean, I think there was a lot of people watching this game going, oh, if you thought Friday was bad, just watch what's about to happen. And then it didn't. And uh, part yep. of it was finally getting a goal. I mean, it was interesting. We'll talk about the reuniting of the Connor Shifley Wheeler line <laughs> and what they got out of there. But, yep. you know, we can talk about all the things we want. That was the Jets' best player standing up and winning a game for his team when they needed it desperately. Yeah, 100%. And, and the way that he did it, too, like, sure, you know, he made three stops in the fir- inside the first 26 seconds, right? And then they get the whistle. They throw the Lowry line. So, so there's the Connor Wheeler-Shifley line that gets hemmed in their own zone. Then Lowry loses the draw. He sort of wins it, but Calgary ends up getting the puck, gets around to Johnny Goudreau, and he makes an unbelievable pass out front. And so whatever, I mean, it is what it is, but it's just like, I mean, you got to throw your goalie a bone there. Like he's already taken three shots in 24 or 25 seconds, like figure it out, you know, like, I mean, he needs some help. And then, yeah, the, the power play goal, which is almost automatic these days, you know, one's going to get through in the game. But although the PK had been a little bit better. I mean, that might've been the one good thing that came out of that Minnesota game is they killed wild though and four. Right. So but yeah, like yeah, I, I don't know. The biggest part of that Saturday game to me is third period. The Jets, I think it's Brendan Dillon, maybe takes a, a tripping call in the third period. And Connor Hellebuck for two minutes makes six shots. I mean, that's that's a lot of saves. He's making some really good saves in, in that. And that's where they I think they won the game because I think and it was still two two at that point, but like Hellebuck wasn't letting anything else in. Like it wasn't happening unless it was gonna be like a goal off his like one of the goals in Minnesota where it went off him, the crossbar, his elbow, and then into the back of the net, right? You know, like you said, you know, that Minnesota game was just a dud. And, you know, I think to last year, though, they lost 7-1 to to the, the Montreal Canadiens early in the season, I believe it was. And then 6-1, I want to say it was during their seven-game losing streak to the Oilers. And that one, probably the worst loss to me, if, if I'm going to answer the question, that's probably the worst loss they've ever had. Uh, in 2.0, just the way that they played that game, I I, I thought people were going to heads were going to roll after that game. They didn't, but uh, but yeah, no, you know, and to see Connor come out and and pretty much Mark Messier it and, and say that they were going to come out and 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 essentially win. I mean, you know, it's on is pretty much you know I'm going to do everything I can to help this team win, and he did. I mean, he stopped 34. I think the problem with it is like my biggest issue is they've squandered so much Connor Hellebuck this season. Like this losing streak, aside from the seven-one game, Hellebuck can only let two goals in per game. Like that's not that's a very good number in a team that's so offensively gifted that they should be able to score three on most nights, and they hadn't. And there's just no run support for him. I, I, it just it it really just it 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 reminded you of the trend that's been here for the last couple seasons where it was like we're just going to have Hellebuck and he's going to do what he does and we're going to hope that we can score a few goals some nights and he shuts the door on him and that's kind of where this road trip kind of led to um you know after they kind of got out of that Edmonton game and and yeah I don't know I mean Hellebuck has been their saving grace for years now um and I thought earlier in the season that was it, it was a point to earlier in the season where he wasn't taking as many shots and was letting in goals. And we were like wondering, like, does he need to take more shots during the game? Like, is this, you know, like that's kind of where we were. That's, but that's how good this team was playing five on five. And then it's gone. And I don't know what it was, what the line changes. Was it trying to get Wheeler going or Shifley going? It's hard to kind of pinpoint where it kind of went wrong, but I will say this. Like, I think that, I think that some of the tinkering that was done in and around that LA Kings game where they didn't play very well, but still won in overtime and then went into the Edmonton game. 
that's kind of where I saw, you know, it's like, okay, well, like, are you giving up? Like Paul Maurice, are you giving up on it a little too soon? Are you going to let these guys work through it? You've already put Wheeler back on or moved Wheeler up to the Connor and Dubois line to try and get him going. And so like, I just wonder if like, you know, you're trying to fix something that wasn't broken to, t- to try and get something that was broken going. I don't know. I mean, and that's the hard thing. You have a lot of talent in this roster. You have some, I would suggest maybe allegiances to some of your, well, to your captain, of course, and your assistant captain, the guys that have really helped you since you got here as a head coach. But I just wonder at some point, like, when do you kind of have to just cut the cord with Wheeler? And I don't mean like cut the cord like he's off the team. I mean, just like put him in a role where a 35 year old often goes. to. Well, here's the thing, Scott, on that. So I've got I've I had some time for that conversation after the Vancouver game. I hated that. I hated the penalty that Wheeler took. It reminded me of, you know, like back in like 2013 around the end of Claude Noel. I mean, he and Andrew Ladd were notorious sometimes for you know, painting a long shift and then a lazy hook or something like that, you know, 200 feet from your net and going in. And then of course, when it went in and it was a killer, killer goal right after the jets had just made it, made it a one goal game. Yeah. But I mean, anyone that was at that game against the Kings saw the Jets' struggles right now. And I mean, that is when coaches change things up. And for all the shots that Wheeler is taking, I thought that, you know, he in that line was great, especially in the first Edmonton game still pretty good in that second Edmonton game. Yeah. And then I think we saw a little bit of the law, of, uh, the, the law of diminishing returns come in for it. And, and, you know, you know, and maybe you get this more on the end of three games in four nights, like there was in Vancouver, like there was in Calgary. Um, but I think there was a lot of people in that narrative was sort of like, you know, there's some people that have really strong opinions on that and about certain people. And they're really, really loud. And sometimes it takes uh, it takes a life of its own. And right. I really didn't think that that was justified after the Edmonton games. I mean, I went, I kind of, I agreed with Maurice. I thought that they played so well, probably deserved to have four points. But if you told me going in against Edmonton and the way they're playing, the Jets were going to get three of four and maybe get goalied out of an extra point in a shootout, I would have taken that for sure. It was the way things went after that, that, um, you know, that got bad and then got terrible against minnesota so you knew something was going to come out of it what right. did you think of going back to old faithful a line that we really <laughs> haven't seen this year yeah. connor shafley wheeler which i'm sure drove a bunch of people online absolutely oh, no off idea. the ledge yeah. <laughs> and then lo and behold they score two goals they uh, get yeah. bailed out by hellebuck and they win the game which is exactly what they needed to do kind of funny how that works yeah, I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I think Paul Maurice felt like he was kind of out of options. And let's go back to, like you said, Old Faithful and see what they can do, right? I mean, maybe it was for one game. Maybe it didn't work. Whatever it did obviously work. So they're going to get more. That's probably probably the worst case scenario for 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 the detractors on, on Twitter and all that, right? Because, you know, th- they get the first goal. And, and to be honest, to be perfectly, to be fair to Kyle Connor most here, he did a lot of the heavy lifting on that goal. I mean, yes, Paul, you know, Blake Wheeler did poke it across to him. But let's give Wheeler credit here, too. He made a nice pass on the second goal. You know, perfect pass to Kyle Connor, rips it, and that's it. So, and I, I just, I think that's it. Like, I mean, I, I don't want this to be like a rag on 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 Blake Wheeler. I just think that I, I do buy into the fact that there's a couple of factors here for him this year. One being age, but I'm not even going to say age because this guy can still skate and he's in much better shape than I am at the same age. But at, 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 you know, just when it comes to he's coming off COVID and it seems like he's still a little hampered from that. I mean, 
you watch him and, and um, it's not just me. There's, there's broadcasters from other teams. They're just like, okay, he, he can play, you know, have one really good shift up the ice or one really good shift back down the ice. But it, it's, at some point, like, it's just like he looks gassed. He's tired. And I get it. If he wants to play through that, I understand it. Like Blake Wheeler played through broken ribs or fractured ribs, whatever it was last year. Um, you know, he played through that. Like, I get it. This is the way Blake Wheeler plays and, and all credit to him doing that. I just wonder sometimes if he needs to play at a different spot. And I thought him and Shifley and Adam Lowry were very good together, creating a ton of chances before they switched and put him with Dubois. If Dubois is there, but then if that working, like, again, the problem is there was this confluence of, of just a lot of things not working. And so he went back to what works and or what's worked for him in the past. He knows it's a good line. He knows essentially what it does is creates chaos. Mark Shifley brings the puck in. Wheeler brings the puck in. They, you know, they get it down low. They create some chaos. Puck comes out, and then they, they snipe a goal. It, it, it's very much an effective combination and has been. I'm just not sure how long-term that is. You know, and that's the issue because you're trying not to tire these guys out going into the playoffs. That's the one of the things. You rode Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler so hard on that line. 100%. Sometimes. And, and that by the time they got to the playoffs, they were so gassed. Well, now we're three or four years on from when they got gassed that, that time. How is that any different now? And you got well, to but that. You know, it's, it's different it is now is that, that the talent, right? like, you know, they were a one-line team in a lot of right. those cases. And now they have other guys. They have exactly they have Dubois. But the problem, I wonder, too, is like, what is, you know, this is Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler's team, and it has been since, you know, time immemorial, right? I mean, that's kind of the way it's been. When when does Pierre Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor get the, the reins to that, and how much strife does that cause? Like I, I just wonder if, if that is part of the issue here. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, that's pure. Well, people say that a lot, but if people are just kind that of assuming that those guys have like a gun to Maurice's head, forcing him to do this because of I them. Think and it's that, I'm not sure that that's fair. Well, for sure. I, I hey, agree. I've said for a long time the Winnipeg Jets sometimes have seemed like a union shop, especially in right. years before. Well, here's who's got the seniority. This is the way they're rolling out. And to be honest, that was one of the things I think that was so encouraging in those first 15 games of the I, season yeah. and they are nine, three, and three, is that that wasn't the case. And I'm not but, suggesting but who was Chris, out of the lineup there, Huss, though. Who was well, out they of the lineup? Four, four games or so of that. I mean, five, that wasn't five each. But yeah, five, I, okay, I, I five games. So five of the ten games. But I mean, it wasn't like you know they came back. But I'll tell you what, Scotty. To your point, the way the team was able to play and win games, and the guys that stepped up when those guys were yeah. out of the lineup, to me, was the best sign going forward for the Jets. Right. So you know, it did sort of make what happened in the last week maybe surprising to some people, maybe not to others. Um, the sure. bottom line is they, you know, went in a real, real rut for, you know, the better part of a week. And I'm not here saying that, you know, they got a win on the back of Connor Hellebuck and it's completely over. But I think they did oh. get out of the toughest point. And that was a big, big two points to get just to let everybody breathe a little easier. Tell you what, the conversations around this city would be a hell of a lot different yesterday and today going into tonight's game. Sure. If they hadn't broken that losing streak, you got the Coyotes here. Tonight, you got three days off to get a little bit of rest and get some practice, and then Jersey and Toronto at home on the weekend. So we won't be talking about the schedule and the time zones and all of those other things that often no. get brought up. I mean, it's time to get going again and get back on the right track. Now, to your point about how long this goes for, I mean, I am quite interested because, you know, from we have heard some people that uh, that um, Nick Ehlers 
had actually said that he wanted to try playing with Lowry and Stastny for a bit. That's interesting. And, you know, credit yeah. to him for, for being a, a team player and wanting to do that. You know, you've got Dubois playing on that second line. Um, and, of course, Connor Shifley, we were the guys up front. And I think we all know how this is going to work. If they go out and score and they win hockey games, nothing's going to change for a while. I mean, that's usually when things do change. Um, yeah. And I guess we'll see. I mean, the question that I think many people have, you know, that are maybe op more open-minded about going back to this line is, does the fact that they've got uh, Brandon Dillon and Nate Schmidt on the blue line, does the fact that, you know, they've got a more deeper four lines that they don't have to just rely on that line to play 25 minutes a night. Does that put them in a better position to have success in the short term right now to get back on track, make up for that miserable week last week, put a few more wins together and go forward. But I'm with you. I mean, I think yeah. there's a lot on the table for Paul Maurice and uh, by no means, I know a lot of people said, you knew it was going to happen. He's going to go back to this. Well, yeah, probably chances were at some point he would, but much like he said last week, you know, at game 15, you know, these aren't the lines for the rest of the season. I'm not suggesting that it is tonight as well. Although, if they go out and put some in the net and get a win, guaranteed we're going to see it on Friday against Jersey. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that is. And I think, you know, tonight if they do that, you mean good for them and good for the team because, you know, they need that win tonight. I, I think tonight if you don't win, it's a big problem because I think you do, it's a continuation of last week. I mean, if you come out, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but you throw up a dud against you know, an Arizona team like that, the conversation over the next three days until they face New Jersey is going to be what is going on with this team that has so much talent, brought in $9 million of new defensemen during the offseason, has maybe argue, well, arguably the best goaltender in the world, and and they're you know they're now lost six of the last seven games. So like I mean that's tonight is a big game, and and I you know it's not a big game in the macro sense. Like you know it's two points in the year in 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 the micro sense though I suppose, and and that it is a big game. So we'll see what happens. But and I do think you're right. I mean I Paul Maurice, I, I just I think the leash is so much shorter for other lines sometimes than it is for that line, and and and, and you don't often see. You know they haven't really gone back. They went back for a small stretch in that mini game to 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 to, to Connor Dubois and and, and Sveshnikov, right? And like, and I've argued this with other people, Kenny Weeb, uh, for example. You know, well, is Yevgeny Sveshnikov a top line player? Well, it's not about him being a top line player. It's it's about him being a complementary player on a line that's really good. And so if that line works and he's a top line guy, well, so be it. I mean, who cares? Like. I don't understand why that matters so much. It's always like, well, he hasn't earned it, or he has. Well, it's not about earning. Like at the end of the day, it's about two points, and that's all that really matters in this league. Because at the end of the year, when you add them up, you're either you're above the line or you're below the line. And, and so I, I just I, I I don't have a lot of time for that because I just don't like it. Like I, I watch other teams. And and they put guys on lines that you know maybe they shouldn't be there in. Yeah, but they also take them off that, all the time too. I mean, it's not like do. they You're put right. those and you know right. like we got Bunting I, I playing agree. up with Marner and uh, Matthews right sure. now. I mean, a week ago yeah. he was playing third or fourth line. I mean, the, that that happens yeah. all the time. And and they have yeah, and, and I'm not like I mean other teams have the same issue too, right? You have two guys that can play really well together, and it's always hard to find that third guy, right? Like I mean. You know, this isn't old line, lines of, of of yesteryear, right? It, it's harder now because there's so many different styles of game, and I get that. It, it's hard to find a third guy. Um, I, I just, I think my point is, well, I'm just, 
I think, and it goes back to me, it's like, okay, I might not have been working for maybe that LA game or whatever, but it's just like, I mean, I don't know. I just, the leash sometimes just always seems so short. And and I just, you know, for this team watching it, you saw how exciting this team kind of was after those first three games of the year where they didn't, you know, they didn't come out and play. But even then, like, they were still like, they were getting to something. And I just think that whatever they built to up until that Edmonton, those two Edmonton games, it's kind of gone now. And I, I don't know, like, I mean, again, the Calgary game was a win, but it, it wasn't win the way the Jets were playing when they were winning, won their first nine games. No, right? no, for sure. So that's the, that's the difference, right? So, like, I, you know, I think there still are some questions going into this game. Can this team Absolutely. regain that identity that they had? And I, it's weird because I don't know if, like, you might see a lot of it tonight because Arizona's so bad, or you might not because you, you don't really take Arizona seriously. I don't think the Jets aren't taking – Arizona seriously I think they have to um but at the same time it just I don't know like I, I again after losing five straight I think you need to see a few in a row to see if you can find you know a trend right are they getting back to that style of game or have they resorted to something that it's like you know we know that we can win so sometimes we just go out and win and we don't really play the way that we should a la last season when Paul Stasny basically came out and said exactly that right we you know like we're not we're taking a lot of our game for granted right now and we were winning so whatever uh, we'll see how that goes i think that's the biggest storyline kind of going forward is can this team regain that feeling that it had at the start of the year before this and even into those you know into the even well, to the mm, first two games of the losing streak so. yeah and, and you know what and i'll say this i think part of the and i know there's a lot of people that have issues with Ealers playing on what is basically a third line right now. yeah um but again, we had Shifley and Wheeler playing on the third line before. Yeah. I mean, I think what the hopes are is that, you know, while everyone will just focus on Connor Shifley and Wheeler, is that they get to a point, regardless of how those pieces are put together, that, you know, the first, the second, and the third line are all playing significant minutes, are all doing things that, you know, are helping you win hockey games in all three areas of the rink. Um, and we'll see that because I, I do think as much as, you know, we focus on, on that top line right now, um, that we were so familiar with, um, you know, Ehlers and Pierre-Luc Dubois are both line drivers. And, you know, if those yeah. lines can start having some success and they get some from that top line, you know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a move that will result in, uh, in some wins and, you know, continued improvement for the Winnipeg Jets coming back from, uh, from that miserable, miserable week. Scotty, you were there today. Just yep. one more thing on, uh, and we're going to, we're going to play coach Maurice after we finish up here. Um, in the middle of his presser today, there was quite an interesting thing. And again, there's been tons of questions about Blake Wheeler. But man, for the first time, he said, well, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Blake had four points and everyone's saying is old and Mark had four points and no one's saying anything about him. I mean, I was, listen, <laughs> I agree 100% with what he's saying, but yeah. I did find it was quite fun that he was maybe poking a bit at this narrative or why so many people are on this one guy and pointing out, uh, hey, just so you know, it wasn't just 26 that was having maybe a little bit of struggles. And, uh, you know, in some ways, a bit of a push yeah. for Mark Shifley, who has never really heard that much from the coach, certainly publicly, a little bit of a nudge forward to uh, to get it going. Yeah, it was me trying to fumble through a question to Paul Maurice about Blake Wheeler and just trying to get his sense on why, like why he's making the decision that he's making. And then, yeah, he came up with that. And he's right. I mean, he is right. We didn't make, but I, but I think there's a, a different expectation for Mark Shifley. I think people just expect Mark Shifley to return to that type of player that he's always been. And I think that might be why 
And so and then you see Blake, and I think, again, part of the narrative with Blake Wheeler is that he's chewing up minutes for guys like Nikolai Ehlers, for guys like Svechnikov too, right? Where Mark Shifley wouldn't really be chewing up minutes that he didn't deserve. Whether he's playing second line or first line, he's playing 20 minutes a night and, and he's playing power play and he's doing all that stuff. And so, you know, that's Mark Shifley. And, and, and I think it's just the expectation that Blake Wheeler or Mark Shifley is going to get back to his game after he figures out whatever's going on with it. And it might also be COVID for him too. Um, Whereas Blake Wheeler, people think he's on 17 or 18, you know, in terms of his career, and it's not going to get better than it is right now. I wouldn't agree with that. I think Blake Wheeler is still leaving something out there that isn't being translating into goals and assists. I believe you're you're right. There has been chances, and I wrote about this a couple weeks ago when he was on the Lowry line. There are chances that he was getting, all right? He just hasn't been able. He's snake bitten. I mean, that's all there is really to it right now. The guy doesn't have a goal on the year, and and that's not and that's not for lack of of play. It's not for lack of chances or effort because there has been times where it's just like man, it's on a, on his stick and it's just not going. The goalies, whatever it is. Um. So yeah, like I I get that part, but uh, you know I, I think the narrative is different because Wheeler is a top line right winger, and a lot of people want to see Nikolai Ehlers in that spot. A lot of hey, just on Ehlers for a minute, else, right? Ehlers so. for a minute. Does Dubois yeah. Ehlers work? I mean, have we have we got to the point where that is? You know, they did that a lot I last don't year. Seen it enough? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, we certainly I mean, saw it a ton last year. But again, yeah, I guess but the we argument didn't is that Dubois is best last year. No, right? no, for sure, for sure. So, so I mean, I, yeah. I am a proponent of having it a little bit more balanced through the three lines. I mean, I, and I and this goes back to our conversations when Shifley and Wheeler came back from COVID. They kept them on that line, playing with Adam Lowry. And I think we right. saw some good results. Um, so I, I understand yeah. some of the points why you might want to split those guys throughout it. But listen, if you've got those that, you know, Connor Shifley and Wheeler playing together, I mean, at what point do we think that, you know, it might be Nikolai Ehlers and um, Dubois getting back together and seeing if they can, um, you know, produce a lot more than they did last year when Dubois admittedly struggled through his first half season in Winnipeg? Well, and I think that's one of the things too. Is Dubois? I mean, as as good as Dubois has scored this year, there's also the the part where, you know, it was good for him to have a trigger man on that in Kyle Connor. Now with Kyle Connor back up on the top line, maybe Nikolai Ehlers does slide into there and be that kind of trigger man. So that that's it's it's interesting. I, I don't know exactly how that one's going to play out. And, and you know, you have Andrew Kopp and. We'll see how that kind of works. Andrew Kopp, you know, he went 13 games without a goal before that empty net goal. So depending on how you want to see it, he had such a hot start to the year. You're talking about big contracts and Team USA and all that kind of stuff, right? And, and that kind of has settled down a little bit just based on his production isn't there. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I would like to see Dubois with Ehlers now. Like, you know, let, let's see it when Dubois is playing his best hockey, I mean, this guy's, uh, well, he lives up to the nickname horse or whatever they call him. Um, I, Dubois is unbelievable. I mean, I, I, I never, no, I, I've seen it before, but like he plays such a good kind of power forward game. It's so effective. He's so physical. Like he can work. He's basically like leaning over guys with his stick and, and, and it's, 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 it's tremendous to watch. And, and the guy's 23. So on top of that, and, and so it's interesting to see that. And I just, yeah, I just hope that, you know, when you're he gets a guy that's, you know, that can do kind of the same things that, that Kyle Connor was doing with him. And I, I'm just not entirely sure 
it won't be that without Nikolai Ehlers because I think there's that dynamic part to Ehlers' game. It's also speedy, um, just like Kyle Connors, just in a different way. You know, Nick is great in a straight line, obviously, but but maybe not so much as not, as much as how he plays. But yeah, I would like to see it, and I think he gets there. I think I think where Ehlers is is probably part of what Maurice said today about. You know, he's not getting the shots that he used to get. I was looking up the stats. I mean, I think his shots, I was looking at it here. He's, he's shooting from like two and a half feet further out this year. Yeah. So like, and it was interesting that he said that. And then I went and looked at him. I'm like, oh, okay, so like, he's not he's not far off. And like all of Nick Elliott's goals this season are of average of 35.8 feet. And, and last year they were like 21.5 or something like that. Like, so we, Ehlers isn't getting in closer, right? And so I'm wondering if... I, I don't know. Like, I don't know why that is. I, 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 now that he said that, I'd like to actually go back to Nikolai and, and kind of ask him, like, why aren't you getting more into the interior, like he said? Or what is that? Are you injured? Whatever. He's not going to tell me he's injured. But, you know what I mean? Like, I just I, I wonder if that's part of... Well, and you compare Kyle right Connor. Now, so. Compare it to what Kyle Connor's done so far this year. And Connor had some nice, right. you know, highlight real goals earlier. But then, you know, once he was continuing that scoring streak... I mean, he was, and maybe it was the Dubois influence. I mean, you saw the way Dubois was taken to the puck to the net. You need yep. to be there to be ready to bang in some of those rebounds, yep. and it worked. I mean, all that, it is going to be an interesting week. You got Arizona tonight. It's a game that this team has to have, and I think they need to look good doing it, um, get some good feelings around the room, and then get ready for a big couple games at home on the weekend. Scott, awesome chat as always. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, Plug what you've got coming up in the uh, the sun. Obviously, we have the game tonight following uh, what's up. Yeah, and then, uh, after the game tonight, then I'm off for a day, which is like the first in like 11, but don't tell my boss because uh, I am happy about it, though. Teddy will be good. Teddy's going to get a couple days off, too. So, but yeah, and then we'll, yeah, we'll see what the rest of the week goes. A lot of it will be dictated by what happens tonight. So that's the, the beauty of covering sports is, you know, there's always a new storyline every day. So that's why the, they play the games, right? Hey, pal, thanks for doing this. Uh, all the best, and uh, let's do it again soon. Yeah, anytime. Appreciate it, us. There it is. Scott Billick at Scott Billick on Twitter. Uh, and of course, covering the Winnipeg Jets in the pages of the sun. Uh, hopefully, Remo, if you can, let's uh, get to Maurice in a second. When we uh, first up, though, I do want to thank Princess Auto. Uh, and I guess congratulate Princess Auto. Uh, great supporters of Jennifer Jones' team, who is going to the Olympics. Of course, had a great time with the Princess Auto squad on the men's side. Mike McEwen, Reed Carruthers, and his gang over on the weekend. Um, very exciting time for curling fans in the province and uh, everyone involved with the Jennifer Jones team. Of course, Princess Auto is where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto, where they pride themselves on helping you create the ideas in your head and make them into reality. Of course, it's family-owned Canadian headquarters right here in Winnipeg. And what an amazing, amazing spot they've got there. And two locations you can get into or 24-7, 365. Start looking at what they've got and getting those Ian ideas going at princessauto.com. Um, it was a great week out in Saskatoon. And uh, thank God our friends at Boston Pizza were there to be able to pop down and check out the Jets games when... Uh, needed to see them on the road. Boston Pizza, they've got center ice. They've got the sound on for the game. They'll help you out. Maybe not sound the games in Saskatchewan for the Jets, but certainly here in Winnipeg. And some great game night prod, uh, promos, including pick a player. Uh, so pop by your local Boston Pizza tonight for the game. We'll have Monday night football on as well. Enjoy those ice-cold schooners, great pizzas, and Boston wings, and so much more. And if you are staying home tonight, order in from your local BP or check them out online 
at bostonpizza.com. And now that I'm back, I'm looking forward to hooking up with DQ Nick this week and doing my official review of the DQ Steakhouse Burger, which looks so damn good. If you haven't tried it yet, pop down and uh, do it. Uh, DQ Polo Park, DQ Niverville, the DQ Northgate, and of course, DQ St. Anne's. And for all of you St. Vitalers that were used to the DQ St. Anne's closing as soon as the snow came, uh, good news. Now that Nick and Nikki are running it, it's open all year round and it's available on Skip the Dishes and Uber Eats if you don't want to go out. And uh, order online at DQ Manitoba if you want to get a cake set up for an upcoming holiday gathering. Uh, they'll have it ready for you at your local Nick and Nikki DQ locations. Um, let's uh, let's get Remus back in here. It was a great conversation with Scott. I knew it would be today, Reem, coming out of... Um, such a crazy weekend, a week that was so unlike the rest of the season, which was quite dreadful, to be honest. And um, and a win on Saturday night that I don't think a lot of people saw coming, especially after the way that it started. Uh, but the fact that they were able to grind out two points, um, Hellebuck standing on his head, calling his shot. Uh, it really does, as Scott mentioned, um, you know, lead into an intriguing visit by the Coyotes tonight. And when I first saw the schedule and saw the Coyotes coming to Winnipeg on a Monday in late November, uh, it wasn't really a game that was circled on the calendar. Yeah, and it is a different start time. Earlier start, 6.30 um, tonight. You wonder what what effect it's going to have us. We've heard about time zones. And what about the earlier start? You got to start your routine a bit earlier. Is that true? I had no idea. I'm glad you mentioned that. I would have showed up half an hour late for the game. <laughs> yeah, six, <laughs> 630, um, 6.30 start uh, st- start tonight. And you know, it's funny, the game against Minnesota, I mean, it started off, you know, had a couple pucks uh, ping pong around and end up in the back of the net. And then, then the rails uh, just, or wheels just fell off and they got pasted. Um, Saturday's game, again, off to a Pretty awful start. 26 seconds in, Calgary scores. You know, they get a power play and score again, but Connor Hellbuck stood on his head. Um, so I think you get the win. You know the situation that it was a back-to-back at the end of a road trip. You know, whatever, however many different time zone in a row it was. But they ended up, uh, you know, they ended up winning winning the game, and I think you needed that win, and you needed to score. I mean, they had averaged a goal per game uh, for the five games previous, and you come out and get, uh, what was it, four? One of those being an empty net goal, and, you know, Kyle Connor gets his. So we'll see how it goes tonight. I mean, this is a game where you'd like to think the Jets are in a smash spot against Arizona team. You're at home where you just had that successful homestand, and you know you've got the break coming up. The Jets should should paste Arizona, who, you know, I looked up their goalie, not confirmed, but it's Karel... Very Melka, and I've never even heard of this guy. And I play. That was the guy that uh, that uh, Billick was just talking yeah, about. Yeah, I've never even heard of him. And I play DraftKings. I look at the starting goalies every day. Like you, you follow the league. <laughs> like I don't know who this yeah, guy well. is. So um, Arizona's been terrible, and the strategy this year has been whoever's playing against Arizona usually smashes because they're not good. So, but we've seen us where Jets are in games where you think that they're gonna, you know, have an awesome game and destroy their opponent. And that doesn't happen. So that's why they play the games. You'll never know, but they're in a really good spot here and you can be, you know, feeling good with a win. Then you have your days off and you get your, uh, you know, you'll have three games at home in a row. And last time I checked home games are all in the same time zone. So, so I think you're going to be in good position playing New Jersey and, uh, and Toronto. Two options tonight. 
it's one of two things. It's either a get right game for the Jets where uh, they get back on it. They feel some success. Some of the puck luck goes their way. They start putting in some goals or they struggle and they don't have it coming off that road trip. And if that happens, um, that will make, well, that'll make for some pretty interesting post-game listening with the IC guys and Kenny and Rennie. I would say that is for sure. Um, but Paul Maurice spoke today. I kind of touched on a few of his comments with Scott, which was quite interesting. Um, uh, but yeah, he had lots to say about um, you know, the way things ended up on the road trip, where the team is coming into this game tonight against Arizona uh, with a few days off afterwards to get ready for Jersey and Toronto on the weekend. So uh, here's a little bit of what Paul Maurice had to say earlier today down at the rink. Any line of changes tonight, Paul? Nope. Paul, you've talked in the house about the job that... Uh, Kevin and the starting staff have done assembling your roster. A lot of that's done. What's the trick to getting, you know, you, you maximizing that depth and getting it so that everyone's kind of going at the same time, probably a lot easier set than that? Um, yeah, when does it, like, when it, you get that, what does it look like? You go on a... Well, I don't know. It, 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 like, I don't know. Maybe you're blowing teams out of the water. Maybe you're getting goals from, you know, of the four goals you're getting from three lines. I, I don't know. Each line looks dangerous as the last when they go out. Yeah. Um, so I would suggest that probably about a week, seven or eight days ago, it might look like Edmonton. Right. Put up five the night before, 47 the next night. It, it'd look like that. So is there... Um, I mean, trying to balance ice time, all the things that go into to eliciting that. As a coach, what, what are some of the things that you need to do to kind of make sure that the team, the barriers are removed for them to do that? Yeah, I don't think there are any barriers for them. I think we'll, we'll put four good lines out on the ice, and there'll be good players. And we have leading scorer playing on a pretty good line, scored two last game. I got my second and third leading scorer playing together. They like playing with Svetch. Nikki liked playing with uh, Stas and uh, Lau's a lot in the back half of that uh, mini game. He liked playing with the other two guys, but man, that just wasn't going in the net for him. But good players, they'll be fine. About Ehlers, I mean, he's got a ton of shots. I mean, as a coach, do you look at shooting percentage and say it's only a matter of time, or how do you? Yeah, you're looking at where he generates the puck from. What's the reasonable expectation of a goal from where the shot comes? He's unusual in that he can actually beat a goalie from distance, and there aren't a lot of guys who do that. If you if you look at the shot distance uh, of guys who score goals, there's just not a lot from the outside, but the guys who beat goalies from the outside are all the top-end talent, right? They can beat a, beat a goalie from distance. Uh, for us, when Nicky's at his best, that shot is way closer to the net and into the interior, and, and that's also true of where he receives the pass and the distance between the pass uh, and him. The closer they are together, more often he's on the inside, the better he plays. Talked about Kyle Connor graduating to becoming a driver. There's been a lot of maturity in his game and his personality. What sort of things have stood out to you on those fronts? The number of games that that's true. This would all be consistency. So take Kyle in his very first year would have a game some nights where he was dominant, right? It might be one in 10, but you go, oh my God, this guy's going to be a really good player. And as they mature, it comes into, you notice him every single night. And if he goes two or three games where he doesn't score, you're going, what's wrong with Kyle Connor? Um, you know, look at his game. That line scored two the way that the only in some ways they can, right? They, 
the chaos that they caused with their size and their speed in the first goal and then the straight rush skill that they had on the second goal. So he now is, is not learning from the other two. He's helping drive whoever he plays with. Guy, but do you see him taking a little bit more ownership in the sort of leadership aspect too, with, with maybe his players? Yeah, I mean, what's the what's the greatest driver of leadership is consistency, right? It, it it's difficult to lead a team and be good one every ten games, um, but in your style of play and in your approach, are you counted on? Do you deliver what the expectation is for you to deliver each night? Yeah, he's he's been good. Do you need consistency to be a leader? Oh, absolutely. So before you go running down the road with that, because I know where you're going, all kicking your fucking heels, um, it's not on the points won't tell you that. Your ability to perform each day, come in each day and, and, and drive and be consistent with that. I think it's very difficult to have a major um, swing in the, either the quality or style or performance level or effort and then either you know have a young player say okay go emulate that guy or or be so talented some ways that that nobody can do what you do anyway right like they say go play like Wayne Gretzky well can't okay so but being an everyday guy being a guy that comes in and is great every day that's that's leadership Saturday's game did for this team just it's psyche after the game did it feel like a release yeah, yeah. The, the, the mini game is so difficult, right? It, it's a painful experience for everybody to go through it. It's just you want it off you as fast as you can. I didn't think going into Calgary we were kind of physically in a position to be able to get four lines rolling and dominate a game. Um, so we had to be good at a handful of things, and we were. So that, that was a real positive. So they said, about a week ago, I, I just loved our game. I thought we were right there. And then we played two or three games where we looked like we were dragging a little bit, but we weren't. Basically, it's a one-goal game against Pitt. We're down one nothing to Columbus in Columbus, and then you go in and just get clobbered. And then those other games now are just like that game because you've lost all of them, and I, I, I didn't feel that. So it was good to get it back. I'd good at a couple things, you know, made, made the morning skate, uh, I wouldn't say loose, but positive. Yeah, it was an important win. How important is it going to be with the break in between games to keep that rolling against a team that, you know, I'm not going to question whether the team takes Arizona seriously. I imagine they do, but it's, it, it is yeah. a bit of that well, in between. Yeah, the, the, the things that we're fighting aren't going to be complacency with Arizona right now. It's, it's uh, understanding. Well, first of all, it's understanding Arizona. Their last, let's say, five games, they're top ten defensively in all the metrics. I mean, they, they've played a very strong defensive game, so easy goals aren't there tonight. And we've got to grind something. You know, we're, we're trying to work on narrowing our focus on what we want to be good at each night and, and trying to be much better in one or two areas instead of trying to get everybody rolling. What have you, what have you noticed from Blake since he came back? Because you've moved him at three, two, one. I mean, you might look at those lines differently in terms of the numbers but I guess what and does he does Blake need Mark and, and Kyle right now to drive him is he past that point no he's no you don't I, look at when Blake had four points and Mark had four points Blake was old nobody said a word about Mark's four points right so just don't run with that one too hard because I think you're going to look bad doing it I don't mean you personally. I think there's a general thing.
theory is that, you know, I got two guys who get sick, missed a bunch of cock. He came back and he had like, a bunch of chances to score. Didn't go while he's too old. Well, no, he's not actually. And um, I would suggest, you know, part of, like, I almost don't want to answer the question, but I'm going to anyway, because I do agree with part of it. Like Kyle is in some ways driving that line, certainly more than in the past. I mean, Blake was the guy that came over to me and said, well, why don't we, why don't we take the kid? Give us the kid and we'll work with him for a while. And, and they needed to, right? He, and now where I play Kyle Connor, there's usually a fair amount of production going on. So Pierre Luke's looks real good. And then they, it gets cold for a little while as it always, each line does. So you, you make a little flip and those three guys go back together and whoop, they look exactly like they did. They don't look old. They look pretty good. <laughs> well, that was uh, <laughs> that was one of the more interesting game day pressers from Coach Maurice. I'll say, I, I was not expecting that uh, inadvertent f bomb in the middle of the action. Right? Earmuffs. Uh, apologies to everyone that uh, had their jaw on the floor on that one. Um, but the end bit was what I was talking about with Scott. And uh, you know, I think there is something to be said. And I kind of said it a few times on the on the program over the last little while. Hasn't looked good, um, you know, certainly over the past week for a lot of players on the Winnipeg Jets and Blake Wheeler with the C on his chest is a guy that's attracted a lot of attention. Um, but I, I I personally do think that, you know, we'll see a better version of Blake Wheeler going forward. Now, where he fits into the lineup and how that works, you know, through the rest of the season, I think that's all up in the air. Uh, I think we'll see a continued change. And, you know, over the course of the first 40 and 60 games, They'll find out their best combinations. We've seen many of them so far. Um, and when it gets down to crunch time or in those big games, if they haven't established consistency as a unit, we'll see a number of different uh, different looks. But uh, but Remo, that was, uh, you know, for all of, I mean, we listened to a lot of Paul Maurice's press conferences over the years. That was a memorable one. Yes, Hustler. We had um, in the past, we had your beacon, my captain. That was the one we had. Uh, I'll make you, uh, make cry, you cry. Make you cry in that room. Also that to Jeff one. Hamilton. Then this one, yeah, it was Jeff asking about consistency from the leaders. And Paul Maurice knew, knew what Jeff was getting at. And he said, uh, what is it? Don't go click your fucking heels at me <laughs> after that. I, I would have to figure out a way to use that line in my vocabulary uh, day to day. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it caught everyone uh, in chat off guard. And that was from the uh, the Jets the Jets website. So they uh, the credit to the Jets for putting that out there uh, unedited. Thank you, uh, Winnipeg Jets social media stuff. Yeah, good work on all of that. So anyways, we've had lots of Jets talk today. We do have a game tonight. Um, tomorrow on the program, uh, we will dive into what happened tonight, look ahead to the rest of the week, and of course focus in more and more on the Bombers and Riders getting ready for the uh, West Final on Sunday. I, I am so fired up for Sunday, uh, mostly for the football game, but I'll tell you what, uh, you know, that game on Sunday night with the Leafs in town is always a special game. It is Blake Wheeler's 1,000th game, and, you know, I know we all live in the moment uh, right now, and a lot of people didn't think that, you know, he was playing very well and where he's playing, but I do think it's important maybe to take a little bit of a step back if you've been a Jet fan following this team for the last 10 years. And on Sunday, um, first off, it should be a great game against a very good Toronto Maple Leafs team that's hotter than a pistol. Apparently, I reverse jinxed them. I saw someone saying that earlier in the uh, uh, early in the chat, uh, which is possible. But, um, but yeah, no, it'll be a big day for the organization, um, for the guy that's been the captain here ever since Andrew Ladd left. And, uh, 
you know, but before then, a couple big games, and it sure would be nice if they could stack a couple wins against uh, Arizona and New Jersey before getting to Sunday night. Um, coming off of a very, very disappointing week, um, certainly in comparison to the way the team had played so far for the rest of the season. All right, there's lots, a few other topics coming out of the weekend that we have to get to, and some big news in baseball, including the uh, Blue Jays. But I do want to thank our friends at Canadian Club for their sponsorship of Winnipeg Sports Talk. There was quite a bit of CC being poured in and around the curling event in Saskatoon. I will tell you that curlers definitely love their rye. Uh, and if you love rye, uh, get the best Canadian club uh, available at, of course, all Manitoba liquor marts and at IG Field. And I have a feeling they'll be pouring quite a bit, keeping people warm and excited for what should be an incredible atmosphere on Sunday afternoon at IG Field. Canadian Club, proud sponsors of Winnipeg Sports Talk and your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And on Friday, of course, we will get back after it with another marble race for our friends over at Canadian Club. And congratulations to our winners from the last couple of weeks. I am back. We'll get you set up to uh, do a little picking up over the course of the next few days for the hoodies and the I Love Rye packages, including the Canadian Club. And your next chance to win is on Friday afternoon. Um, we'll get to some cool bet lines at the end of the program. But, uh, Remo, let's get to a few of these other topics. Um, you know, while we're with hockey... We should mention, I know Leighton and some other people are going, you guys haven't talked about Evander Kane yet. God knows we spent too much time talking about Evander Kane over the years, but it is noteworthy that now that his suspension is up, he has been placed on waivers. He's going to be assigned to the San Jose Barracuda, assuming that he is not picked up by any other team in the NHL. And his agent has said that he will report. I think we all know that Evander needs the money. So uh, he's definitely not going to walk away from what is owed to him right now. Uh, but man, that is going to be interesting to see how he handles that because um, you don't really think of Evander as an AHL player. I know that he doesn't think of himself as an AHL player, uh, but Larry Brooks did have an, uh, um, an article on the weekend in the New York Post that there's an Eastern Conference team that's considering trading for Evander Kane. I think it's quite obvious with him being on waivers and available to anyone just to pick up and take the salary that... Um, you know, the, the Sharks will probably be eating some of that salary and, uh, and it'll be really interesting. I mean, I said a long time ago, like when this all started, I wouldn't be surprised if Vander Kane's next professional game is actually overseas, potentially in the KHL. Looks like it's going to be the American Hockey League, but maybe he gets one more chance to fit in with a team in the National Hockey League because, you know, for all the ridiculous stuff happening off the ice and the personal issues that he's been going, going through, um, he was the Sharks' best player last year, Remus, and there's always one team that thinks a guy can help you win games, even if he makes the magic with him, which Evander certainly does. Yes, uh, I, I agree with that one, Hustler. Um, I think he was he was great last year. I haven't fantasy, I've said before. Um, he can score goals, but the problem is not on the ice, but off the ice. Um, his teammates hate him. They don't want to play with him. So as much as they're going to put him on waivers and eat some of his salary just to get rid of that contract, and yes, uh, if you... Uh, course if he gets sent down to the AHL he's going to report um he's he's clearly has money problems needs needs to get paid so uh, he's done dumber stuff us than you know turn down uh and turn that down so you know but I I would it's a crazy uh scenario and uh we're we're keeping an iTunes someone commented that we hadn't talked about in the first you know hour I mean we can only spend so much time talking about this guy there's way more important things than yeah. talking about Evander Kane going on waivers today. But we, of course, did mention it. There's still some people that love following the trials and tribulations of old EK9. Um, speaking of former Jets, 
uh, in the news over the course of the weekend. How about Brendan Lemieux biting Brady Kachuk in a scrap on Saturday night? Uh, it was funny after the Jets um, Flames game, Matthew Kachuk joined the group and he said that he'd heard about it and had some comments. But Brady Kachuk was absolutely spitting fire after the incident. And, you know, sometimes, you know, a guy will have a problem with another person on another team. But what Kachuk had to say was unreal. I mean, basically said that the guy is a garbage human being, a piece of crap teammate, a guy that doesn't even belong in the National Hockey League, and that all of his own teammates hate him, and he's lucky to be in the National Hockey League. The Kachuks can chirp, but Brady did not hold back after that incident against the Los Angeles Kings. Yeah, he threw. He said they called him a what a baby for biting. He said baby. He's like babies do that. And what was the other he called brick? He called him a total brickhead. I mean, he went brickhead, off. I like that one. That was a a promo, a, a full wrestling style promo that Brady Kachuk cut on Brandon Lemieux. And even on uh, after hours. Um, Matthew Kachuk said, oh, yeah, that's a little kid shit about uh, <laughs> hearing about the biting incident. So um, in person hearing it, for Lemieux. Yeah, I would think he's I saw some people posting a precedent of like three games. I think it's definitely a suspension. And I posted even like he's done stuff, dumb stuff before. Like he tried to take out Nikolai Ehlers like after a whistle against the Jets. I posted the gif on on Twitter. I got some response. No response from the NHL there. So. I mean, you let a guy do stuff unpunished for so long, eventually, you know, it catches up to him. And uh, Jonathan Quick did speak out and and uh, defended Brendan Lemieux, actually, today. And I a comment I thought was laughable, saying he'd rather have Brendan Lemieux on his team over Brady Kachuk. Schmidt face has just said the fans 960 played Gilbert Gottfried reading Brady Kachuk's no. statement. We, in fact, have that for you folks. And, uh, you know, you know what? Why don't we do that? Put it this way. Let's uh we've got over 300 people in here. We've only got 124 thumbs up. Let's uh give it if you haven't already, do us a favor, hit that thumbs up button. If you're new around here and you haven't subscribed before, make sure you hit that red subscribe button. Really helps us grow the channel and join us every day here at 1 p.m. Uh, but while you guys give the thumbs up, um, this is quite funny. Anyone familiar with Gilbert Gottfried? A very polarizing comedian, I would say. Some would say, myself included, one of the most annoying voices in the world. I don't know how this came to be, but somebody went on Gilbert Gottfried's cameo and paid him to read Brady Kachuk's statement about Brendan Lemieux afterwards. And um, <laughs> it's quite hilarious, I will, I will admit. Remo, you want to play that? Yeah, I have it ready to go. Right now. All right. So, so here's Gilbert Gottfried on uh, the uh, comments of Brady Kachuk to Brendan Lemieux. Enjoy. Chuck, Chuck was furious. This is the one time I'm going to answer this. Said Doc Chuck. It was the most gutless thing somebody could ever do. This guy, you can ask any one of his own teammates. Nobody ever wants to play with him. This guy is a bad guy and a bad teammate. He focuses on himself all the time. This, the guy's just a joke. He shouldn't be in the league. The guy's gutless. No other team wants him. He's going to keep begging to be in the NHL. No other team is going to want him. He's an absolute joke. I can't even wrap my head around it. 
People don't even do this. He's just a bad guy. Tkachuk didn't stop there either. It's outrageous. Kids don't even do that anymore. Babies do that. And I don't even know when he was thinking. He just a complete brickhead. He's got nothing up there. Bad guy, bad player. What a joke he is to Kajuk. <laughs> Tell you what, Reem, when I got up this morning, I did not think you'd be listening to Gilbert Gottfried drop a uh, wrestling-style promo from an NHLer, but yet here we are. Um, I, I see everyone enjoying it in chat. Yeah, we enjoyed it too. We figured we had to play it today. That was out there. And shout out to whoever won. Drop the money on Cameo to get Gilbert Gottfried to do that. Yes, at Bill to Spill, uh, John Cougar Colleen Camp is his name on Twitter. I don't know who this guy is. I've never heard of him. But uh, yes, he is uh, a genius for paying. And I agree. I mean, what are we doing here when you're when you're biting people? <laughs> Like, who does that? It's like, I could think like, uh, like what, Dr. Evil like, or Austin Powers. Who throws a shoe when talking about a uh, random task, I believe, was a character from Austin Powers. But uh, <laughs> insane that we're talking about biting and the NHL. And I, let me just bring up the Jonathan Quick quote, because, Hus, we do always need both sides of the story, right? Don't you want to hear from Jonathan Quick? Who said? Yeah, well, he okay, certainly yes. Kings goaltender Jonathan Quick on the uh, on the topic. Looking forward to this. He said, "I have my own opinion about what happened or did not happen last night, and what can I tell you is that any comments that were made about Pep, I'm assuming that's Brandon Lemieux, were garbage. He's a valuable player who sticks up for his teammates. We all support him. I'd rather have him on my team over that kid any day of the week. And I mean, I just looked at some career numbers, and I think just looking at <laughs> You know, I'll take Brady Kachuk. Stuff Thanks. that matter, you know, goals, assists, points. Um, you'd probably rather have Brady, Brady Kachuk. But yeah, Lemieux's been a bit of a brickhead. Um, that wasn't the first incident. So I'm curious how many games he'll get. Um, I don't know what people in chat think. If you want to write it. Um, well, I mean, just the fact that they're giving the opportunity to suspend him for more than five games, I think is at least it's a good sign. They may or may not do it. But I mean, you can't be going around biting, dude. I mean, that's yeah. just simply. And. <laughs> And we no, did. That's a no go. There was a comment from James Robinson over the weekend. We didn't talk about this that um, Panarin, Artemi Panarin, got fined five thousand dollars for throwing a glove at Brad Marchand. I don't know if you saw uh, this. I gift. saw that, and the best line was about it. He was asked about it. He said, "Well, yes, he was insulting my country. I don't think you should do that. I was mad at him about that, and yes, I got fined five thousand dollars. But thanks to the old GM, I have eleven point six million, so I'm good." Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> And I think it just these five thousand dollar fines are are a joke. So I don't know what you do about that, but it's not deterring anyone from anything. A five thousand dollar fine. So that was that was. No. I mean, that was, the glove throw I think was was pretty funny. It's harmless, right? That I mean, you're not hurting anyone, but the, the biting. Well, just, that's uh, Marshawn's the master. I mean, Marshawn is able mm -hmm. to. I mean, he is probably like for a guy that is so good. He, he's right up there with the best pass in NHL history because he is as yes. aggravating as any guy that's ever played. And he's a top line player on a really good team. That's won a Stanley cup and will very much likely uh, probably be an Olympian. 
Um, so it is. It is. He, by the way, is getting a, a call into NHL player safety after a slew foot on Oliver Ekman Larson. So he might be getting a couple games off coming soon. Uh, certainly a guy with a bit of a rap sheet before. And it is somewhat funny that we got to talk about Marchand coming off of the Brendan Lemieux biting incident because, of course, Marchand was the guy who introduced licking yes. opponents a few years ago in another example of um just some just real cl- the class act that that brad marchand uh, brad marchand is um obviously there's lots going on in the national hockey league we'll spend much more time talking about it tomorrow certainly it's game week for the bombers and the riders we'll be all over that game from every angle over the course of the next four days leading into the weekend looking forward to that but remo we can't finish the show we should get to this beforehand Free agency is on in the majors right now, and there are some big, big names moving for some big, big money. Uh, and it started, unfortunately, for Blues Jays, Blue Jays fans that saw Marcus Simeon, who had an MVP caliber season, sign with the Texas Rangers for $25 million a year. Uh, but the Jays, after signing Burials to the seven-year deal, they did jump in, maybe assuming that they were going to lose Robbie Ray, who just won the Cy Young. They signed Kevin Gosman from the Giants, $5 million, or sorry, five years, $110 million. Gosman coming off a, a really good season with the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, so the Jays, uh, as you said, losing Simeon, so good for him, taking the money from the Rangers. That's going to be a big loss. And the Kevin Gosman, you're basically trading Robbie Ray for Kevin Gosman. They got pretty similar contracts, so I don't know. I think they were talking that Robbie Ray was on... Um, what Tim and or not Tim, the Tim and Friends show and basically talking in past tense about the Jays, but uh, I like Kevin Gosman. He's a big a big prospect with Baltimore. Really couldn't put it together for a long time. Got traded to Atlanta and seemed to figure it out last year. Was among the leaders in the NL, but I mean, doing it in the NL and moving to the powerhouse AL East is a different is a different story. At a two eighty one. Or sorry, he was actually, so he was on San Francisco last year, not the Braves. He was in San Francisco. Yeah, doing it in the NL West in San Francisco where you have the big parks like San Francisco, San Diego. I know you're playing against. Also going up against some pretty, some teams that can rake. I mean, San Diego, the Dodgers. Yeah. I mean, and, and that team was phenomenal last year when he was, he was a big, mm-hmm. big part of it. The other big news today, it sounds like Max Scherzer is going to be getting $130 million for three years. From the New York Mets, Scherzer is 37 years old, um, but man, the guy's still one of the best in the game. Um, he's not getting the term, but he's getting about as much money as you would expect on a five or six year deal. So I'm sure that's fine with him. Yeah, was that like I can't do a quick math? Was that like 40 million a year for? Uh, I think he's going to opt out after two years. So good for him. He's been one of the best for a long time, and um, you know you see guys like Simeon and. Scherzer, you know, taking the money from bad teams uh, while you can. So, I mean, can't can't fault a guy for wanting to secure the bag, right, Huss? No, there, uh, no doubt about that. And, and you know, and Simeon's a guy that played in Oakland his whole career. I mean, he hadn't didn't make very much for the first five six years, and he was like three million, four million. Signs his one year deal with the Jays, and um, you know, he's cashing in for it. So, uh, uh, there you go. Yeah, it sounds like a mega deal for Scherzer is done. One hundred and thirty. For three years, um, Tony Gray going to the uh, the uh, the Rangers, uh, Kluber going to the Jays, and uh, Byron Buxton getting a hundred million dollar extension with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, let's quickly get to the cool bet lines for tonight before we uh, get out. 
Monday Night Football is the Seattle Seahawks having a dreadful year. They are one-point favorites on the road against the WFT Taylor Heineke. They've actually looked good the last couple weeks. I'll look to see if they can continue uh, putting some wins together. Um, That game tonight, the money line, uh, WFT, even money to win. And Seattle minus 109 on the money line. Um, Still waiting at CoolBet for CFL lines. I'd speculated last night the bomber line was going to be 10 and a half. Uh, Argos would be three-point favorites. We did see, I believe, Sports Interaction dropped the Bombers as a six-point favorite. And get on that ASAP if you got an account there. Uh, I don't expect that we'll see. I know Aaron Karolnik at TSN Edge tweeted out that he'd seen the Bombers opening at 10, and that's sort of thinking whatever, where I'll be, certainly when you think about what the Bombers have done this season and the way they manhandled the Riders in those two games. I would expect it to be closer to 10 than closer to 6 when it opens up on CoolBet. Um, so we'll pay close attention to that. We'll discuss it tomorrow as well in the program. Uh, but as far as tonight, we've got three games in the National Hockey League, and the Winnipeg Jets are a massive favorite at home. I know that might make a lot of people nervous. Minus 312 on the money line. And the puck line to win by two is still minus 120. And uh, I don't think that's speaking to what the Jets have been doing lately. It's just how bad the Arizona Coyotes have been throughout the season. Other games tonight, Seattle Kraken at the Buffalo Sabres. The Kraken, a road favorite of minus 147. Sabres plus 125 is a home dog. The Canucks are a road dog plus 116 against the Montreal Canadiens with all the turmoil surrounding both of those teams. All the insiders will be at that game, I bet, today with what's going on in the front offices of both clubs. Habs minus 137. And then the Calgary Flames coming off that loss at home to the Winnipeg Jets on Saturday night, back at home, minus 137 favorites against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Pens paying plus 117 on the road. Of course, Cool Bet Canada is where you want to go. And uh, if you haven't bet there before, go to coolbet.com. Use the promo code WST and you will earn a 100% bonus on your first deposit up to $200. I imagine that bomber line will be up on CoolBet a little later on today. We'll certainly touch on it tomorrow. We're also going to hook up with Mo Khan in Montreal. Um, We'll talk a little CFL with Mo. We'll also uh, get the latest on uh, the Habs and what's going on with that team, front office moving forward, and probably a little bit of NFL talk with Mo as well. One of my favorite guys to talk about because we can hit so many different topics. Uh, One other football note, I will give a shout out to the uh, Saskatchewan Huskies who won on the weekend in the UTech Bowl final play of the game. They're going to be taking on the Western Mustangs in the Vanier Cup. Uh, Of course, uh, Bison's, you know, made it to the Hardy Bowl, lost a hard-fought game, had a nice big early lead. Uh, But Saskatchewan, and certainly according to Justin Dunk, has been the number one team all year. They'll get a chance to go up against a Western who absolutely destroyed St. FX in their semifinal game. Uh, It was like 60-6 to at one point late in the fourth quarter. Uh, So there you have it, Western and Saskatchewan. And a real unfortunate story to finish up, I know John Rempel and a number of um, young men from the Bison women's hockey team were excited to be part of Canada's team at the university ad games, the world university games. Those were just canceled today. Um, And, you know, just another casualty of COVID really unfortunate as Switzerland closes its borders right now with the new variant and, uh, Oh, man, just a really unfortunate, um, fortunate story for a number of people that, um, you know, have been looking so forward to this opportunity to represent Canada 
at the Universiad. Uh, Ice finally lost a game again, now 21-2. and two. We'll cut him a little slack. Moose looked good on the weekend as well. Cole Perfetti now eight points in his last five games. He's really rolling, and the Moose continue to play some real good hockey. They're heading back out on the road now as well. We'll get to the Moose, and we'll certainly get to the Ice later on this week as well. Uh, but the focus all week long on Winnipeg Sports Talk is going to be the Bombers and Riders on Sunday afternoon and the latest on the Winnipeg Jets, who will have three days off in between games after tonight's game against the Arizona Coyotes. Thanks again to Remus for reminding me and all of you that the game is at 6.30 tonight. So if you are heading down there, consider yourselves informed half an hour earlier than the normal game. I believe it's a hometown hockey game. That must be why it's on when it is. Um, do want to thank all of our sponsors. Of course, our friends at Vita Health, Fresh Market, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Not Autocorp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club Whiskey, and, of course, Cool Bet Canada. Special shout-out to Chris Abbott. Great time with him in Saskatoon at the Olympic Curling Trials. And a final congratulations to the GOAT, the Queen, Jennifer Jones, and her rank, who's going back to the Olympics after their heart-stopping win yesterday and extra ends in Saskatoon. Brad Gushu as well. Another return trip to the Olympics. Um, thanks so much to Justin Dunk. Thanks to Scott Billick for the great Jets chat we had and everyone that's been with us in the chat. Tell a friend about Winnipeg Sports Talk if you haven't and where they can find us. If you're listening on the podcast, do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and a little uh, a little comment. That always helps. And uh, bottom line, if you're on YouTube, make sure you've hit that red subscribe button and give us a thumbs up before you go. Enjoy the game tonight, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 o'clock with the latest on the Bombers Riders coming up on Sunday. And, of course, tons of Jets talk coming out of tonight's game. For Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Patterson. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you tomorrow here on WST. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down! Let's go Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.